0: Save us once with fire.
1: PlayStation 3, and now we're going into the sun-drenched uh, streets of Sao Paulo, Brazil and Max Payne 3, and I am here joined with one of my favorite people, uh, back from season one as well, from the Katamari episode, it is Fog Brain, and how are we doing tonight, Fog Brain?
2: I'm doing good, Sam. Thanks for having me <laughs> on again. I'm really glad <laughs> you brought me on to talk about Max Payne 3 and... Uh... I'm also glad that you know, because it's been a while since the Katamari episode as well. So it's like, been it's
1: good to December, see I think it was December ninth uh, was when the Katamari episode came out, which is crazy to think about. I thought I did it in 2023, but I get uh, I remembered that Katamari was like right around Christmas for me, so it's been mm-hmm. it's been a while. I love to death the Katamari episode. I, I, granted, I love every episode I've done but uh, the katamari episode we got a lot said for a game that is arguably mm. very simple at its core and i'm i'm very proud about that like that that was a proud moment episode for me to speak upon this quirky little ps2 game uh, but yeah i i thoroughly enjoy your presence just because you are one of the few people that like i can just go into the DMs and just be like, what do you think about this game? And then we're like literally back and forthing for like two hours about what we think about this game or the state of gaming or whatever random thing that comes up on either of our heads. So like you were going to be back on the show regardless. Like it was a guarantee. (laughs) Um, But in since you have not been on the show in like nine months, I, I figured since I know that the, uh, we keep tabs on each other about what games we've been playing. So mm. I figured I could will ask you sort of two questions that are as one, which is what have you been playing since December, but also what mm. has been some of your favorite games that have come out this year? Since you are, I know for a fact that you are someone who keeps up to date with gaming you know playing the mod the new releases so to say
2: yeah i mean it's been like a really good nine months since the last episode where like so many games have come out especially for this year i think it's been a really good year for gaming and Mm -hmm. um so yeah like the i think in past years recently i haven't played as much new releases just because they weren't that good and they didn't really demand my attention too much but for this year it's like man i've probably played more uh new titles than since probably 2019 is like the last time i recall but like and i definitely credit you and part of that in terms of our discussions where you would like you pretty much sold me on final fantasy 16 i ended up playing it (laughs) and
1: and technically i I guess i sold you on a ps5 too like
2: you did you made me buy a ps5 (laughs) as well
1: so uh, yeah, I mean it's
2: it's been a very expensive relationship that we've had through TM uh, conversations, but you know what? It's been pretty much worth it because, um, yeah, having once I got a PS five, like my experience of playing console games has been much more like it's reinvigorated, mm-hmm. and I get to just enjoy sitting back playing games uh, in um on a console again. But like, yeah, to answer your question, probably uh. Probably is Final Fantasy sixteen this year in terms of like Mm -hmm. the game that I've had the most fun with and it's gotten like the most response out of me in terms of like Mm -hmm. the reactions I would have to playing the game to what I feel about playing the Mm -hmm. game and just the amount of stuff that I could probably talk about on on that game alone as well. Like there's just there's a lot going on there. And if it if you asked me prior to that, I probably would have said R E four remake.
1: Um Yeah. Yeah, that that's basically the same for me. I mean I mean I've made two bonus episodes for both of these those games for a reason because I think they're legitimate like gold star releases of the year and they do they do things they obviously are very different but they stand on their own two feet in different respects RE4 remake basically creating a new way to experience one of the best games ever made and cr- as a result, argue you could argue makes one of the best games ever made again. Uh, then Final Fantasy sixteen just being a like confident, like fully thought out role-playing game that basically just plays like Devil May Cry. I was like, man, this is like the greatest thing ever also made. Um
2: yeah, which sh- which shocked me because like my I would I would definitely say my relationship with Final Fantasy as a franchise is not good. Because Mm -hmm. um, I didn't play seven, I didn't play eight back in the day. I missed out on all the good ones essentially. And then I remember when I uh, was—I was probably like thirteen at the Mm -hmm. time—and I slapped in a copy of Final Fantasy X Mm two into my PS two, and the the opening uh, cutscene played out, and I immediately ejected the disc because I was like, I don't, I don't get it (laughs) whatsoever. (laughs) And and then I played um fifteen, and then I was like, ah. this is dull i really wanted to get into this and really wanted to like it and i just couldn't yeah i was very very damaged and hurt by final fantasy
1: yeah many such cases with 15 i've made my opinions very clear about final fantasy 15 of just how much of a just disappointment that one is and and you know i've said it both on my show, and I think on other ones, it's just like, 15 ha- could have been really fun. If if they had stayed true to the original vision of it, when it was called 13 versus 13, it probably would have been much better. You know, when you, when you let Tetsuya Nomura be a director, I think magic happens. Uh, and that was going to be like his first major Final Fantasy one, excluding Kingdom Hearts. So... It's a, it's sad to see like all those ideas either being scrapped or repurposed into something that's objectively much worse than what we understood versus thirteen to be. Um, mm, especially
2: when you look at all the older like um, showcased builds that they had of um, oh, yeah. that game early on, and it just was so fascinating. And with the amount of new stuff that they were experimenting with technology wise, and mechanics wise like I remember being really excited for it and then they like kind of did this whole pivot to what it ended up being with like the the boy band of dudes doing the road trip which is like you know on paper I love that idea I think me too with the bros is like an, an awesome game concept and they just they just dropped the ball on it man it just wasn't like that good
1: yeah I I I think I finally after years have pinned the blame and it was on that director because i just don't think that director was ever capable of he i think he's much more of like i have good ideas but i don't know how to string them together into like a great experience sort of guy like his 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 one fame claim to fame prior to 15 was crisis core and i despite crisis core's many quirks and issues i have i still think it's a great game it has really great moments but then i learned recently this year that like the art the best parts about crisis core didn't really come from him they came from namura so it's like Mm. well okay well there goes your any of all your credibility and the guy uh he formed a studio that eventually would make Forspoken. so you know hey i guess you know the proof we knew we don't that he, know how that went yeah oh god oh the less said about forespoken the better but like sometimes you just want to like kick you know you just want to kick something when it's down already. Right? it's just like oh you piece of shit you awful game like you it was so bad it killed a studio like killed that studio you know where they have to be reabsorbed into square enix so it's like mm. i i can't believe and hearing that allegedly it potentially was like a Final Fantasy game, like, literally, like, I felt like chills going going down my body. It's like, I could not, if that had a Final Fantasy, like, logo slapped on it, I would have like, oh, the franchise is gone. There's no you can't save this anymore.
2: I, I feel like a Square, Square Enix is in a weird position now because, like, Forspoken failed so badly and they spent so much money on it. And then also, like, 16 didn't really sell that well and that was like a hugely budgeted marketed game
1: okay yeah i 16 sold what square enix wanted it to it Mm. now people will always say like well square enix reported like a massive loss it was not because of 16 it was because of other games that like failed to hit the mark and from what oh, I can from what I can gather about Square Enix is that they had they basically were greenlighting a lot of smaller titles that just didn't sell well at all. So they said they're going to restructure into less of those and make sure that their big titles sell, you know, great. You know, they don't have a forespoken again. Um, which I think you know for them of their size. I think that makes sense for them. I mean, their next big game is final fantasy seven rebirth. And I don't think that one's going to like bomb because, because of the seven uh, attached to it, its name. So, and again, it's another chance to be like, here's a since Here's a system seller guys. Like if you haven't bought a PlayStation five, like trust us, you want to get it for this sort of thing. So I don't know. It, but I don't think sixteen kill like people love to like hyperbolize sixteen like sixteen was dragged through the mud online by so many just it was, like, yeah for no reason too like it's just a genuinely fantastic game and any sort of issues that I've I've had with it like and I can and I know which one it is they did not detract from the experience which. For me, I went into the game wanting like an adventure, a game that felt, you know, grandiose, epic, and every sort of buzzword you can think of. And I got that. I got a Final Fantasy game. And I think for the most part, that's what people got. You know, my stance is is it the best Final Fantasy? No, but it is one of the better Final Fantasies. It That's doesn't it. even
2: need to be like the best Final Fantasy game because if you're like me, and if anybody's listening to this is like kind of somewhat interested in Final Fantasy but can never get into it, or you've never played a Final Fantasy game and you want uh, a particular game to be your first one, choose 16. It's like yes. a really, really good introduction to the franchise. And then you can go backwards and then, or even just play 7 Remake, even though like 7 Remake does things with the story that you know you probably yeah. get, need to play the original
1: yeah i i think seven remake hits a lot harder if you know what happens in seven and i will never deter anyone from like you know just play seven like the original is an f- amazing game like there's no reason in like it's on it's on steam like there's no it, excuse oh yeah it's it's on everything they uh the it's on every console like if there's any time to play Final Fantasy, like it's now cuz every mainline game except for 13 and 11, but eleven's a unique a unique case cuz it's an MMO. Every Final Fantasy is now on modern systems. Uh maybe not Xbox, but if you have a PlayStation or a, uh, a PlayStation, you can play FF 1 through 6 cuz they have the pixel remasters they put out this year. Uh, you can play seven through nine because they re- they did remasters of all, of all three of them. Uh, you can play ten. Um, you can play ten, twelve, fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen. You know the only one you can't play is thirteen, uh, which I think will probably get rectified in the near future. I hope because uh, I love thirteen.
2: I think that the you a know, few more years until. 13 rehabilitates its reputation as being not as bad as everybody says it was
1: which i think it is because here's the thing about seven remake a lot of the major people that were in charge of it were people who worked on 13 and seven at least seven remake seven rebirth which again this is going to get confusing because it's like remake rebirth you know what's the third one going to be called um, Japanese subtitling
2: of games yeah, yeah. it's ridiculous
1: <laughs> it's Japanese subtitling plus you also have Nomura as the creative head so he's going to come up with something mm. um dream drop distance yeah. what a subtitle that was <laughs> uh well the, please how about 0.2 uh, birth by sleep a fragmentary <laughs> passage or or uh, uh or a uh, 358 over 2 days you have to say it like that it's not 358 mm. days over two, it's three five. Being, eight, a, being,
2: a, being a mainline uh Kingdom Hearts fan sucks because I know that like all of those <laughs> other games were like required playing and I was just like, No, I like one and two, <laughs> I'll stick to playing one and two. And then I get to three and I'm like, what the fuck is going on?
1: <laughs> welcome welcome to the wild ride of being a Kingdom Hearts fan. You gotta know everything. Uh, um but yeah, I, the thing about Seven remake even though it only takes place in arguably like the first 3 to 4 hours of the original it's a very linear game and that's okay like it's a final fantasy 13 mm. esque linear game and that for me personally as someone who possibly doesn't have time for like ginormous open worlds anymore it was refreshing to play an rpg that was like on a rail like did not tell me like i i just got to experience like the most gorgeous skyboxes i've ever seen i was like oh man yeah, I honest, like
2: honest to god it really is like refreshing because uh i'm so over the open world meme at this point that like <laughs> and there needs to be like this discussion that like hey just because a game is linear doesn't mean that it's bad which obviously ties into uh max Payne 3 which is like a super linear oh game. yeah oh um, boy
1: which you know it doesn't get any more linear which goes Uh, perfectly into last week because it was uncharted which was also linear
2: yeah so it like and the thing is like when 13 came out I think the 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 concept at the time and the thinking especially as like the player base at the time was like okay well games are getting bigger and they're becoming more grandiose therefore you know the actual game itself needs to be much more open world and needs to be everything that you need to run around and do this, this, and this. Like everybody had this new, uh, I guess this brand new world approach to uh, where games they thought were going to be going for the next 10 years. And then we probably look back on the last 10 years, especially from the 2010s, and that just wasn't the case. We're still a bit away off from that. And even then, uh, we've kind of really dug as deep as we could possibly go at this point in terms of how much open world games can give us right now and it's really not that much. Um, yeah, it's becoming uh, a lot of a standardized formula, and I think it's played out, honestly.
1: Yeah, I... Again, I feel like I've been talking about Final Fantasy on this show for, like, a while now, but like it's such a great litmus test of the industry, because Final Fantasy... Square is not oblivious to what sells and what is popular at the time. So... You know, you have a game like 13, which was so linear and so on rails. And at the time it was decried for, for being that way. And then you, mm-hmm. you see what happens when Square Enix is like, we'll make the open world Final Fantasy and it's 15. And it's like, mm-hmm. you really get a sense of just like the open world meme is like, kind of, you know, we've, we've leave the open world stuff to either a developer that is in insp- like clearly has a vision for it like you know for example like elden ring like clearly i think that Mm -hmm. is a game that warranted its open world or just leave open world to like rockstar because like i guess rockstar is like the only i guess the only developer like even back then you know that were making like open worlds that like people enjoyed and cared about because i let me tell you i can there's certain games in the past 10 years where they've fallen for the meme and i'm just like i don't remember anything about these locations like they are just Mm. like copy uh, the the biggest offender is ubisoft they're the biggest offenders of copy and pasting their games over and over again with no like originality or passion behind it it's just like well open world is the in topic right the in vogue genre so we got to do that basically for every one of our franchises that's not named Tom Clancy albeit Tom Clancy mm. games they they've done open World Tom Clancy games so they've done it for everything Assassin's Creed became an open world RPG watchdogs more or less is an open world RPG you know Ubisoft fell hard for the meme and it's caused them to be in utter dire straits as a result like yeah
2: which is like uh, you know I think that's <laughs> a justifiable end really because they've really oversaturated the, the open world genre as a whole where like even if other games come out that are open world um there's that you know that scarlet letter attached to it where even if it has a shred of the same Ubisoft level design or open world design rather that is Got you like you know going from one place to the next, doing fetch quests or doing collectibles or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Horizon Zero Dawn is is literally a Ubisoft game. Let's be honest. Um, then yeah, then like it, it it allows people to kind of make those comparisons and see you know that the landscape as a whole for open world genre games is the same. At the what they tend to do is this: they have like this large, vast open scape, uh, you know, scape of land um that is essentially just a collection of different biomes and then the patches of interesting locations are really just uh linear levels that are injected into an open world that serve as being quest hubs from going from one mission to the next and that's it and then everything in between all of that in in terms of that open world map is just set dressing it looks pretty Mm -hmm. And that's yep. been like the, the way it's been. And I feel like FromSoft is the only one that's done it. So it feels like it's stitched together in a way that makes sense. And it mm-hmm. um, flows very naturally from one setting to the next. And when you're going into a dungeon, it doesn't feel like it's a big separation in the same way that like Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild's dungeons feel like a big separation from its open world. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, oh yeah, so, I yeah, it, it, the, that was something I do remember you posting about, was um you're one of the few people on my timeline that actually wasn't a fan of, like, Tears of the Kingdom, which, you know, when yeah, that came... <laughs> Wait, okay, My this is a question for you. Do you... Because I feel like I'm feeling this with Tears of the Kingdom. Granted, I have not played it. But it's sort of lasting impact that it has had on like the general gaming consciousness is not as big as breath of the wild was like i don't know in here i don't see anyone talking about it which is so strange because like this was like the game from nintendo this year that's not named super mario rpg remake uh which i'm by the way i'm very Mm. excited about don't get me wrong like um but it was their tentpole game this year, and I remember, you know, you couldn't go one scroll, at least on my timeline, seeing like, "Oh my god, this is the greatest game ever made! Nintendo's done it again," sort of thing. But like mm-hmm. now that we're a few months separated, I'm just like, no one's really talking about it anymore. It feels like it just came and went, and like no one has any reverence for it. So I don't know if you had a, an opinion about it.
2: Um, I certainly do. I like, I've, I'm, I was shocked honestly when I, because I was quite excited for the game because obviously, Breath of the Wild was a very, um, big return to form of not only Zelda as a franchise going back to like the first game's roots of, you know, just dropping you in and then saying, like, go for it in terms of the way the game is designed and just like the world and the charm of it it's really good it was a nice refresh from like skyward sword which i did not like um and then you get to tears of the kingdom which is like more of the same except now it's got like levels between the underworld and this overworld above things and then you've got this um you know mechanic of it's a really physics-based game like because which is not that surprising because the first games puzzles in a lot of those dungeons were physics-based except this time they just went even further on that and to me that just feels like it's a very like frustrating experience because it allows you to it just demands a lot of patience for you to build these like intricate complex you know little uh vehicles and and you know devices out of these uh i can't remember what they call them in the game but like yeah you're just making all this stuff out of it and then that's essentially what the game is over and over and over again at every single level and there's nothing that separates the gameplay in a unique way from the different settings that are you know in the in the underworld which is like you know not that interesting and then the above world is like kind of not that interesting that it drops you into and then it's just like the same formula across the board as well in terms of the quests and how they play out and it is even it, it feels like the game talks down to you a lot more because this the first hour or two of that game is nothing like um Breath of the Wild where it just drops you in and goes, okay, go for it. Um in this one, it's like this it's gotta explain stuff to you and it kind of goes back and sets up a lot more of the story. And it's like, I mean, that's all well and good, but um it just doesn't feel very like it doesn't have a natural flow to it. And wow. whatever new stuff that they added to the game just feels like it feels like a minor quality of life improvement. When the initial trailer of of Tears of the Kingdom, when they showed it off, to me, I was like, my deepest hope, and it was probably naive to even think that, was like, I'm okay with you guys making the same looking game and the same mechanics, you know, in your game. As long as you kind of switch things up a bit tonally and really go out there into something that's a bit more creative in the same way Majora's Mask would, which is like, Mm -hmm. personally, yeah, easily my top three. Zelda games and they could have done that especially with the turnaround time on that because even Majora's Mask was like a year and they could have done the exact same game and just done something a lot more different thematically Mm -hmm. internally and there's elements of that there especially at the beginning when you know they accidentally resurrect um Ganondorf I think Mm -hmm. Ganon comes back anyway and it's like really cool and it's got like this kind of creepy tone to it and then it just kind of throws that all away as you go back out into the the wider world and then it's like okay now do what you did in the last game for like 100 plus hours and once that realization to me hit me so quickly which I was generally I would have been a lot more forgiving and I would have given it like 10 to 30 hours but it took me two hours to be like oh no (laughs) (laughs) and then I was like this is not interesting and then the only content that I saw of people posting about it and discussing things was like people making fucking Beyblades out of like the the physics mechanics and like putting them in a ditch and doing all this like weird stuff with things that they can make and that's cool and all but it's like
1: I don't know like this was done in Gary's mod 15 years ago this was done in Gary's mod 15 years ago (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> exactly. I like, I was already. I got all my physics fun out of the way playing with like wacky shit in Gary's Morton. like I don't need it anymore. I'm done. Yeah, I already is... played Banjo Kazooie Nuts and Bolts, and that game sucks, So I don't need more of that.
1: I was gonna. I was gonna make that as a joke, it's like, wow, I can't believe the sequel to Banjo Kazooie Nuts and Bolts came in the form of a Zelda game, like, mm. which I know is the joke everyone has said, but like it's very true from what I gather. Like, it's so. I I have t- I this is a case of I wish I was a fly on the wall just to hear like what what's his name AG Aonuma the guy who's in charge of Zelda games now uh or he's yeah. been in charge since I think Wind Waker I think was when he took over um
2: I think so yeah
1: but I was curious I'm curious like why Maybe one day when I finally play it, but who knows? Because Nintendo does not believe in price cuts for their uh big big uh AAA games. Uh, Breath of the Wild, I think, is only now probably fifty dollars after seven years. Um. Mm. Uh. I'll 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 probably have my thoughts on Bre- Tears of the Kingdom. The main thing I just was like, I remember how Breath of the Wild was still getting like people were still talking about it like several years later like because it was that big of a huge shift and i thought tears of the kingdom would do that and it really never was like
2: two weeks later and then nobody talked about it afterwards like you got those like i said you got those quirky physics-based videos of showcasing um which are cool which don't get me wrong it's very cool if i think what they're able to do in terms of the physics and mechanics in the game is like revolutionary but at the same time if that's all you can hang your head on and that's what the game that's all it is like it physics can be very frustrating in games as fun as they can be when you're trying to solve puzzles and and especially when you're trying to make like this really specific uh vehicle or mechanism that you want to make out of these physics-based you know tool sets um it just feels like trial and error constantly more than anything
1: I I wonder I have to wonder if maybe they were this was like a test run for something that they have in the works because mm-hmm. I mean it, it is kind of, it I will say it is impressive that they got to have that all these systems to work on the switch like that is an, inc- an accomplishment and then some to do that and I have to Absolutely. wonder with the impo- with the switch 2 that is a you know around the corner allegedly that they, I'm wondering if they have some sort of like big game that's going to use it. Or maybe they just said like build this system so that we could use it potentially in later games that we make, not just Zelda related. So I'm, it's very strange that like Tears of the Kingdom has more, more or less in my observations of it has been more or less like a glorified tech demo. It's mm. very strange, because, like, i try to remember the yeah, last that's the time thing, it... I'm trying to remember the last time Nintendo disguised a tech demo as a game. Like, I'm, I'm trying to remember.
2: Well, probably a while back since, like, maybe the Wii U days, I think there were, like, definitely some tech demo games that they were um putting out. But, yeah, I mean, it definitely feels like a tech demo for whatever new Switch is going to come out. But at <laughs> the same time, it's like, if, if, if you're going to take a punt, and just kind of drop a, a new sort of Zelda spin off type game that's marketed and sold as a full-price game, which is absolutely not. I think that game is like, you could sell, sell it at $30, and it would have been way more forgiving. And <laughs> I think that's a lot of the sting in it, is that oh, it's yeah. a full-price game, and it doesn't feel like one at it all. Was,
1: it was Nintendo's first $70 game. A $70 Switch game. I was like, are you kidding me? Like Ridiculous. Switch games should not be $70. I'm sorry. No, so-
2: no, they really shouldn't. I I haven't played a single Switch game so far in its life cycle that makes me feel like, yes, this is a full price titled game. And it feels worth- like maybe Smash Brothers, that's it. But, but oh, that's yeah. purely because of the DLCs. Like, it, it feels worth that. Mm-hmm. And they're obviously going to release an Ultimate Edition of Ultimate, which mm-hmm. I don't know what they'll call it. The Pinot match yeah. um <laughs> on the sw- the new switch and then they'll sell it again like with they did with um, Mario Kart 8 deluxe and that'll be it but it's like um yeah just with tears of the kingdom it's like if you're going to sell it at a full price game and it's going to be like a bit of a, a one-off on, on you know these tools that you're probably going to carry over into the next game that'll be like an actual like you know it'll but, feel more fleshed out, then like, why not take more creative risks in, involved with that if, if it's going to be such a, like, whatever. People will buy yeah. it because it's Zelda, you know?
1: Yeah. I, I was hoping Tears of the Kingdom would have a return to like, classic Zelda stories and it seemed like that they were doing that with this and I was intrigued by the kind of ominous tone that it was marketing but it seems like they kind of just kind of they they felt they they just kind of did some you know fell to like nintendo safety zone so i don't know i mean tears tears i'll one day get to that you know maybe when the switch 2 comes out and supposedly breath of the wild or tears of the kingdom runs better allegedly on that i'll get to it but yeah uh so i do appreciate all these games it's always fun to talk about games with you fog brain it really is it's (laughs) like you're one of the few people that i think you and i are very much on the same wavelength when it comes to all this stuff so it's like i mean literally before we started recording we were talking for like an hour and a half about just anything Mm -hmm. that came to our mind so as much as i would love to keep doing it i think uh i would like to get on to the first part of tonight which it's a continuation of when i did my gta 4 episode and it's kind of the rockstar question or the rockstar magic the rockstar you know experience whatever you want to say you know rockstar for the longest time was quite you could argue no one really touched them they they had a cultural prestige unlike anyone else in the industry from like 2000 we have a real 2000 to like 2013 or if you want to be generous I guess like 2015 when GTA 5 was still like in a good state uh with the online mode I guess if you want to be that kind to it but in that 13 years I don't they're really You've obviously have like publishers, you know, like Nintendo and Sony having their own sort of unique power. But like Rockstar was like the publisher/slash developer that anything that came out of them was like the moment, no matter how small or big. Obviously, GTA has its power that very few game franchises have. So you know, me and you have been messaging each other about Rockstar in pertains to Max Payne 3, but also just kind of their broad, the broad uh, uh, experience of being like fans of this company in their, in their heyday. So what makes Rockstar, like what made Rockstar so special, Fogbrain, to you?
2: Mm, oh, man. I feel like that's such a difficult, ineffable like, question because it's been yeah. such a, like, a it's been such a um, a foundational point from, like, when you first start getting interested in gaming around that time, you know, and it really is, like, you ha- you have to point towards Rockstar in, like, in so many different ways in terms of, like, how much influence every single one of their games that they put out in that 13 year span put on a lot of people like not just me in terms of like you know your taste in music your the influence that you'll have in terms of what kind of movies you'll get into as a result of your interest in Rockstar games Mm. and also just the amount of like there's no um developer that has the power of the word of mouth that Rockstar does
3: Mm.
2: when a GTA game came out you know and like when Vice City was making the rounds when that was like fresh and new there was nobody that came close to the amount of like discussion that was going on whether that's mm-hmm. on your school playground or just around the office like everybody was talking about it and it like the the power of when like you come over to a friend's place and they give you the control on it's like you want to play some vice city well let me turn the cheat codes on and you mm-hmm. know get the chainsaw out and start going ham it's like
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's a real light switch moment that you're just like man this is crazy because like the I mean it's all in the namesake really like everything that they do is like it has the rock star quality to it where it's just like it they didn't give a fuck about anything
1: and oh yeah they're, like
2: they were good business people of course at the end of the day like nobody can take that away from how they handle their marketing and and the the, the cycle of their games that were coming out and that, that um 13 period plus the franchises that they had under their belt and IPs yeah. um it was just like crazy yeah. yeah.
1: It, for, like I'm I mean Rockstar was in part of my life before I even understood what they were like they were the first company I think that I remember like seeing their logo on a box and I was like captivated from the get go. Well granted for the longest time as a kid I always thought they were called R Star because I didn't know <laughs> I didn't know like oh it's like, it's just that's just a I didn't know what the concept of a logo that's how like uh inept I was as a child so I was like what's our star because I remember my br- oldest brother because I'm pretty sure the PS two I had growing up was his and I remember him home one time from college and he had Vice City playing like he was playing Vice City and granted my mom. Was one of those moms who's like, you can't play those games, you can't interact with Mm -hmm. those things. But like, I still find a way to watch like Vice City. And I think actually thinking about this now, if I didn't say it on the GTA 4 episode, I'll say it now. I do remember I felt so like dangerous when like my parents weren't looking and I played a little Mm -hmm. bit of Vice City. It's like, this feels so. Scantilist. this feels so like dangerous to play just like oh i'm just like this guy with a gun going on a rampage and driving fast cars like it's so basic that in very male brain where it's just like i feel like there there's something in this like the dma of their games where it's just like these are the like very much with like certain films, like, where it's just like, oh, yeah, this is a guy thing. Like, that, mm. like, something in my DNA and the DNA of those, like, Rockstar games, it just, like, speaks to my core. And I didn't understand it for the longest time. But I even feel like, throughout all their games, you know, all the GTAs, uh, Bully, Max Payne 3, Manhunt, you know, LA Noir, even though that's technically not them, but it still is. Like, all of their franchises, like, there's something, like, in the DNA of them that, like, you, it's like the thing where you can't, you can't avert your eyes. You always have to pay attention to what Mm -hmm. they're putting out there on the shelves, and they drive people, they, they used to just drive people up the rails about, like, what they were doing. It's like the tabloid sensation, like, where... Just like, did you hear you can do this in, in you know, Vice City or San Andreas or four or five? You, You know, you can do this, and it felt like you know, like TMZ reporting on the scene or something. It's like, I don't think any other developer has this like carte blanche, even in the current state of Rockstar, where they're um, they put all their money into the GTA thing and it's not paying off, I think. Well financially it's paying off for them because apparently they will never stop making money off GTA 5 but you know we haven't had a new GTA in 10 as of I think today or yesterday which is the 15th uh 10 years of GTA 5 officially which is mm. makes me so depressed
2: which, i feel very sorry for anybody who's like younger than than we are because they have just experienced GTA 5 a 10-year period and that's been their Rockstar experience whether it was like when Mm -hmm. I was growing up um so many different games were coming out out of Rockstar and also around that time in terms of the culture of gaming there was definitely like more of an edge to everything because like gaming was considered like you know oh you play video games you know like Mm -hmm. it was like an alternative person's kind of hobby and then before it became like super mainstream Mm -hmm. and just the the perfect storm of like how rockstar was able to like weaponize rage baiting in an earlier period than anybody else could in terms uh, of like getting the reactions out of like the pearl clutching contingent of people who had absolutely no interest in video games whatsoever the um what was his name jack, jack thompson the jack thompson's of the world the 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 the, the, mo- the soccer moms at the time I, that was a big thing as well
1: i i remember being on like game trailers and like they always brought that guy up about you know whatever whatever time which you know like and he was such a great villain because it's like oh hey like we have this company that's putting out games that are just like they're pushing the boundary you know like you said of the time when games were uh pushing the boundary of like Oh, hey, like, what can we do in our, what can we do in this medium in terms of content or let alone the sort of experience that you can get? But like, this is a medium, you know, that should be treated of equal footing to the other big mediums that we know in public, you know, movies, TV, music, books, you know, games should be able to go that far in terms of content and, Rockstar was sort of the champion of that in terms of the large AAA like blockbuster experience. Like you know, lest we forget, like how GT. I mean, you know, even though it wasn't in the game code that you could access like from the disc, you know, the hot coffee scandal of San Andreas Mm -hmm. or like GTA Four having the thing where you could like drunk drive. And I remember they there was a People got upset about that, that you could play a game that let you, you know, down a bunch of beers and then you could just go driving. And they simulated the experience of drunk driving drunk. Like, mm. like it's amazing. Am- I don't know if it's just because of gaming because it's like oh yeah you're doing something instead of just watching something yeah so it's like because oh. you're
2: doing it therefore it'll carry over into real life absolutely <laughs> and then like there's been that I, that discussion went on for like 10 years as well and now it's kind of like simmered down to the point where, you know all we have all the evidence and the data that's coming it's like okay we 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 now know what we all knew all along, video games don't do anything for anybody. If anything, it makes the world safer because everybody's in their homes playing fucking video games. They're in their little simulations. Yeah, rather than being bored shitless and out there doing some like wild stuff that they otherwise probably shouldn't be doing. So like as an extension of like living out this I mean, let's be honest, it is like in a way a power fantasy to kind of like act out drunk driving in GTA four. And I don't think when they were like making that at the time they were thinking oh great we get to put this in the game it'll be like really good um viral marketing quality by like you know the reactions the the wider media will have as a result of this I think they were just like it's fun you know yeah it's it's, fun to drive drunk because it's ridiculous and it is ridiculous
1: (laughs) and GTA 4 welcomes it because of its wild car physics yeah it it just adds
2: more to like it's satellite yeah. idea because that game is so physics heavy that I I guarantee you they would have just thought like well, what if we can allow you to drunk drive in the game we use our physics.
1: I mean you I were already even even if you're sober in that game it feels like you're drunk driving with some of those cars <laughs> like
2: let's yes. be
1: honest like granted <laughs> that's not to say that I hate for I love for hence why I talked about it on the show like if mm. anything that's probably probably my favorite unless. I I think it's my favorite too.
2: It it would be that or Vice City Stories is like my favorite GDA games.
1: I've always had a soft spot for Vice City. Like in general, the Vice City, you know, Vice City and Vice City Stories. Like, I think it's just because it's, hey, you get to play a game where you're like living out your Miami Vice slash Scarface fantasy. Like, that's enough Mm -hmm. to just sell me on it. And they went full ham on that.
2: Yeah, it's, it's, um, I think that that's the other thing too is that like Rockstar has always had with every single game that they made, um, especially during that time span, that like, uh, the stuff that went involved with the game in terms of like where they pulled their influences from and then, um, how they were able to like, yeah, put like a lot of the music that they put in their radio stations in that game was a huge deal in terms of like curating people's taste for Uh, like a lot of people to like after that so like in terms of changing culture in so many different ways like nobody's come close
1: oh yeah in terms of
2: like the influence that they've had
1: there there's always the jokey post that goes online like every few months is like oh yeah i listen i would listen to gta radio station in real life like it got to the Mm. point where like in gta 5 they had real life musicians like They created a radio station curated by Frank Ocean, like with Mm. music that Frank Ocean wanted in the, you know, in his own radio station. So, granted, that kind of shows like 2013 where like that game kind of resides in. But still, the fact that like Rockstar had become culture makers and cultural, like wells to which people could get exposed to i mean that was like the first time i think possibly because you know like with vice city specifically i think people were introduced it's like oh yeah 80s music is actually cool and fun it's not like Mm. silly or anything because as far as i can understand like i've heard on jack on tpn like people would view 80s music kind of down for a while before like nowadays we're in the like 80s revival in, po- in pop music or whatever so it's like mm. G- GTA of all things in 2002 I think 2002 or 2003 they put out a major game and it's like here's all these great 80s songs that like are on loop throughout your experience and they across not- the board
2: too with like different genres because i know like hair metal had a massive reputation of being like the shits and nobody wants to listen to this anymore and like mm-hmm. 80s pop was also the other thing and then like yeah new wave and all these other genres that were popular at the time like nobody wanted to go back to those in any sort of fond light and like reevaluate it or like repackage it for a new audience that could accept it and like You know, for the people that were playing it at the time from like kids to adults, they were like fully accepting of this because it was like, uh, you know, given to you in such a way that obviously the setting helps with, you know, cultivating that sort of experience that you get from it. But at the same time... um, when you spend enough time along with it and you've got that kind of, like, diversity of options available, everybody kind of has their favourite radio station in their GTA games, you know, which is, like, perfectly understandable. But if, you know, if you go through all of them and really, like, deep dive on, on songs that they selected for it, it's, like, every single station is, like, curated to perfection, honestly. And, like, I, I don't think that any sort of game comes close to that uh and and that's the other thing too is that like i i just think music in games is way more important than getting big name actors in your game as like a voice actor or something like that if you can put a like a a really specific song choice in your game and it like makes a moment out of that and like max Payne 3 like oh yeah, has i was gonna moment. say
1: that yes yeah like...
2: it like that lives on forever in those games and i feel i feel like the only person who really gets that right now is uh kojima because he, like, cultivates that and yeah. he knows that he's working under sony he can get the, the licensing for the music and he's also got this like relationship with a lot of the bands that he's been putting into his game so it allows him to like you know essentially just extend the olive range and say hey can i get like one of your tracks in my game yeah sure no worries <laughs> I mean,
1: and, very... <laughs> but then it,
2: it 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 elevates moments you know that are already like pretty good and makes them like classic mm. and um to me, that that is far more important than you know putting a big name actor in into your voice acting role because I mean, you don't need big name voice actors in your games. Oh, it's not. Oh, I mean, oh. I did. I posted about this on Twitter recently, and I said like, look, it's pointless. Especially if you're not getting them to do mocap and stuff like that, it is pointless.
1: Oh, oh, I was gonna bring that up. I'm. uh a game that you and I have been kind of like whatever on that's coming out, actually I think it came out today, was Mortal Kombat 1 and to go off the actor point and how they made a big deal that uh, Megan Fox is in it and I heard some of the lines that she delivered and she sounds like she could give two shits she like I know. It's, there's no emotion. Somehow
2: worse than Ronda Rousey in in eleven, which is oh, like they made the same mistake. That's an accomplishment. <laughs> that's
1: an accomplishment. Like, holy crap! I mean, it was so bad that apparently, in MK one, they found out that oh yeah, for any like grunts or screams, they hired someone else for this character. Megan could not do that. So to your want point, to. <laughs> yeah. To, to your point, like. It is interesting where big name actors, it they they don't unless the actor is like sold on the project. I don't yeah actors big name actors don't work in games unless they are like they are fully on board and they love it and whatever. Like I, I don't know your exact opinions on like tw- cyberpunk twenty seventy seven, but I think Keanu did was a good fit for that, but still. The point being is is like nine times out of ten a game that will go out of its way be like we got this big name actor, and it's like the the actor was in there for like two weeks and they were mm. like given like a you know they were given a a paycheck for like you know a ham sandwich and a coffee or whatever. They're not gonna give two shit yeah, it's but like if, we'll
2: we'll we'll put you in the re- recording booth for for two weeks and you know maybe get your facial scan data and then you do like some promotional work and then call it a day Mm
3: -hmm. and
2: that's usually how it goes with those things whether it's like yeah like you said they have to be fully invested in the project and it has to be like they are on a movie set essentially like Mm -hmm. you have to be there for a long time of the duration of the development you have to do the mocap acting if you're going to have that in the game you need the facial scan data you need to capture the voices you got to do like every possible thing that a a movie would probably do it's just that you're doing it in different stages in order to get the full potential of what an actor is because otherwise you're just getting name recognition which i know from a marketing standpoint is a really really like solid thing to go on and like look we've got idris elba in our phantom liberty expansion it's like well that's cool and all but like is it the same sort of um impact as what you know, Norman Reedus did in in Death Stranding, no. Is it also the same level of impact that like someone like, um, oh man, this is a deep cut, this is a Take Two game as well, like Ripper, when you got like John Rhys Davies and you got like David Patrick Kelly, a lot of like Christopher Walken, a lot of like big name actors that would do, and they were FMV games. So it was a lot more like easier to port this into your game and have it be a more natural environment for these actors to work in. But like, even then, like that game's not amazing. It's a pretty shitty puzzle game. <laughs> but <laughs> that what you're able to get out of that, people still talk about it. Who's mm-hmm. talking about like some voice acting job that some celebrity did in a in a game? Like, do you remember that game that like Mickey Rourke did that was like this um <laughs> that mercenary type game? I can't remember what the name of it was.
1: Was it was it mercenaries? Like uh God, what the I know what you're talking about specifically for me uh
2: rogue warrior that was it oh
1: god i forgot that that had been like not wiped from my memory oh god i was thinking possibly on the good side of this was uh when jean renault was in onimusha 3 like that Mm. was that was that was interesting especially for capcom the again because the third place is also secretly a a, a big Kojima dick sucking podcast. Uh, Kojima can get big name actors, and he gets them to do the like arguably some of their best performances, like Mad Mikkel- Mads Mikkelsen and Leia SeDu. So it's like really is in the hands of the person. But to your point, though, games are unique where the soundtrack is like as defining more defining than like the actors and you see that with Rockstar Rockstar obviously as they've gotten you know as voice acting and performances have gone more and more of a priority through the years you obviously see them advertise like oh hey here are these characters and like hey here are the actors but usually the actors are like no names like you know Mm. like I remember with GTA 5 they had the three guys and I think Maybe two of them. I I forget the guy plays Franklin. He I don't even think he had much TV experience. But like the guy who played Trevor and Michael, like as far as I know, they were just kind of like bit characters on TV. But like, Mm, yeah. And like for Max Payne three, arguably the biggest name is James McCaffrey. But that's only just because he was Max in the other two games. Like yeah, outside of
2: that, he's just done like TV gigs mm. here and there, and which is like. I think in terms of what, if you're trying to get the best out of an actor and you give them this large opportunity to really give them, like, because games, it's not like you've got a 30-minute TV spot, right? You've got, like, so much more space Mm -hmm. to, like, hone your craft and really showcase your talent in that way. Mm -hmm. So using, like, and especially using stage actors and TV actors is, like, really important in in terms of, like, getting the character that you need for your game. You don't need big-name actors because, you know... Mm there's a lot of talented actors out there they just don't get the opportunity that they need and I, for better or worse and like you see the guys from GDA5 talk about it all the time they're like dude nobody knows me now like everybody knows me because I was in this one game
1: and mm-hmm.
2: you know and if you look at Stephen Aug like he was on The Walking Dead shortly after uh um GDA5 and had like a lot of other acting yeah. after it so like it for I don't know where Rockstar get, gets their talent from like I don't even know how they found the actor for John Marston uh for Red Dead Redemption one oh, but, but he's like, like
1: he's yeah. like casted perfectly
2: yeah so whoever they have on casting direction is like genius because like the the, the decisions that they've made and that's just across every game from uh yeah every game that they've done um has been like yeah, it's a real masterstroke. Like, yeah, the guy who um, who did Arthur and
1: Red Oh Dead my Tunes, god, that, that might like, be my like, favorite one of. Tricks. Yeah, uh, uh, Roger Clark. Uh, mm-hmm. again, I mean, personally, for me, Arthur might be one of my favorite characters they've ever done. But that that performance that Roger gives mm-hmm. in it is unbelievable. It's like you could this is a case for the game awards like best performance yeah no he was the best performance like that that guy was arthur morgan in red red dead 2 but like you look at his like filmography credits most of them are like nothing before red dead 2 and he had mm-hmm. like a handful a handful of like I, when i say handful i'm looking at at his Credits. He had five TV show appearances. It's like Mm -hmm. where, where do they find these people? Like the I forget his name, but the guy who played Nico in in GTA Four again. Like perfect casting for this character. And you gotta give you gotta give credit where credit is due. Like Rockstar characters, they find the right people to play them, and they make those characters stand out. That's why like everyone looks fondly back on like all the all the like main playable characters like where on earth did they find the guy to play cj in san andreas like or you know Mm. any one of the main like the main crew in san andreas where do they find these people
2: yeah it's 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 really amazing how they're able to just yeah pluck these people out of nowhere and then really like i think uh, there's no I I really don't think the the needle moves that much in terms of like games that have like big name actors associated with it because when people look on these games retrospectively they're always talking about the characters themselves in that game they're talking about how good CJ is as a character they're talking about how like well-developed you know Arthur and Nico Bellic are as characters and obviously like there will be some recognition attached to that for the actor who pulled that off but like yeah, nobody's sitting back here talking about like, oh, man, this big name actor that was in this game gave like the performance of a lifetime and like really redefined what this character is. And everybody talks about it with like this massive fondness um, because, you know, you're not getting the right people for the job for it. And like the, I think that is obviously Rockstar's mindset when they're casting is it. like we're not they can get celebrities, no problem like Vice mm-hmm. City is nothing but celebrities and San Andreas and like so many other games
3: <laughs> oh together. yeah they've
2: got some big talent um but, it's but, just that they're able to to get the best out of what they need for, mm-hmm. for that game in terms of how much impact they're going to get out of this main character because you're going to spend like 60 plus hours with this person you have to get the job right
1: you yeah know? you have to make them you have to get people to like this person I'm going to spend not only potentially like a week in some cases, like you know with Max Payne three, or a weekend if you're really dedicated, or but also for months or years, people have to like be at least somewhat like on the same level as these characters. Or and I, I don't know how when GTA six ever comes out. So allegedly next year, we'll see. Uh, Mm -hmm. I, I, I hope they pick, I hope that in the passing, because the old rock star guard is pretty much gone except for Sam Hauser, but he's like the CEO or COO of the company. So I don't know what say he has really on the people who work at that company anymore, but I can only hope that they picked they follow that same mantra with GTA six, whenever that comes out. Cause like, you know, I'm for uh, knowing how long people have waited for six and they, it's like, you better have done your, you better have nailed it on every single level. And I don't know if, I don't think they, I think GTA six is going to be a disappointment for people. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm feeling I'd love to be proven. I'd love to be proven wrong. I, I would love to oh, see yeah. GTA six be like the biggest mo- I mean basically the most perfect realization of what they want. Like I want it to hit on every level, but like at this point, I don't think, you know, you and I have talked about this. The rock star that we knew that we grew up on is not there anymore. Like
2: Yeah, it's 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 over. Like the I think the alarm bells ring for me the moment when Leslie Benzies left, and then all we had left was like Laszlo and the houses, and then Laszlo left, and then mm. we had Dan Houser left, and then it was just like, okay, well, I guess it's over now. So, and it's not to say that they can't, you know, get back to the same level of quality of like writing or or tone and stuff like that, but the attitude and the culture and the the sort of backing behind that, and especially if you read about the history about like how much. Leslie Benzies put on the production of those games was like monumental. Like that guy brought back Red Dead Redemption from the brink, essentially. Mm -hmm. Like if if shit was going down, they would text him and say, bring in the Benz and he would come in (laughs) and like really fix things up. So like when he, when he left, I was like, oh man, this is like a huge loss for them because um, yeah, I just think those, those founding core of ideas and the, and the brains behind that were like a lot of what was going into that. Not to mention, you know, the development team or under that which i'm sure like barely any of those exist uh back from those days they probably moved on to something else so it's like it's a lot of people will be like yeah rockstar like will 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 always be the same it's it'll be just the the same culture the same group of mindset behind it but like uh that for me that remains to be seen and a lot of that does depend on this next gda game i think big
1: time and I- Everything rides even if on they, that.
2: Everything, everything rides on it, which is like so weird because they've put all their eggs into the gda basket, and it's like <laughs> Rockstar. You don't have to. Repar- you have man. You, <laughs> you, have, have, you, have, you have Max Payne. You, you have Bully. All these franchises. You have Bully. Like you have you have, you have, M- you
1: have Rockstar presents table franchises.
2: tennis. Yeah, even table tennis. Like, give us some new table tennis. The music in the game rocks. Like, so
1: <laughs> listen. Uh, make 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 a new rage to your you know the 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 game engine they've been using that they used that table tennis game as a demonstration basically just make mm. a new rage engine and just have your table tennis too
2: mm. the perfect tech demo again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> i mean speaking of Len- leslie uh i need to look into it more i know that he's currently making games called everywhere uh, yes, made, which I
2: remember was, like, uh, reportedly a, a VR, AR game initially, and I think it's maybe changed to something else, and then there was, like, a trailer.
1: There was a game, uh, uh, there was a trailer recently. I was uh, something, recently. a game, like, either this Gamescom or last Gamescom, I can't remember. But, yeah, just all of those main Rockstar people that made the company what it was are sadly gone, and... Mm. I I really I I know it's easy for people in games online to like they they doom post about games a lot and in all credit there are like games that do elicit like a doom posting energy but I'm someone who never wants like I don't want like studios or projects to fail just because it's just like get it over with like Mm. I, i i've always like unless the studio is just like a pile of dog shit and the developers are clearly just assholes or whatever like i don't i don't think rockstar in its current state i don't want them to like disappear because that is history and that is culture and i don't want them to become a relic i want them to be Pushing the boundary of what is acceptable, defining people's tastes in so many facets of media. And I don't want them to like hamper their vision, whatever it might be. Like if GTA 6 their vision was for some like you know, what they're saying is like a Bonnie and Clyde uh story in the modern day, like. I want them to do the fullest vision that they ever had, and I feel the passion behind it. I will be okay with it. Like you know, at least like we were saying earlier in the earlier in the episode, if there's passion behind it, and it's like, if it, it, it objectively is like a seven out of ten for me, at least I can say they tried. Like, yeah, I I don't I think want... as long
2: as you, as long as the influences are there up front, and you know you you put in just like some amount of like passion involved with the project I'm I I will be so forgiving of it like I was watching this um clip of Frank Frazetta just talking about art recently uh and I think I probably posted it on my Instagram was just like you know I don't care how technical you are with your your art that you make and it can be as amateurish and quick as you need it to be if you're if if it's coming from a place of like genuine effort and it speaks to some sort of like emotional quality, then I'll just love you to death. And mm-hmm. it's like, I feel the same way about games as well. Even though like, I'm probably like very guilty of this on on if you just looked at my Twitter and just been like, <laughs> man, the state of the industry shit. And it's like, I t- look, the industry has problems. I'm not gonna lie about it. But like, at the same time, like I am, if you get right down to it, I am very optimistic about where games are going now in terms of like, hey, we're probably not gonna deal with five to six year turnaround periods of like uh games pretty soon it's coming around the corner now and mm-hmm. the freedom and sort of diversity of media that can be involved with the game is becoming more accessible for developers at every level Awesome! Yeah. and then like the, the the tools and the engines and where things are going unless you're using unity then you know for <laughs> unity, <sorry>. but <laughs> at the same time it's getting better so like everything's getting better all the time and we're just getting we're getting out of a very like weird pimply teenage-faced era of gaming that was the late 2010s and mid-2010s that were like you know mm-hmm. whatever um yes. so yeah like i'm 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 more optimistic than probably most people might think uh, about things you
1: you you you've you've heard it from me both on this show and in our messages i'm i'm optimistic you know yeah, uh, i think with gaming just because gamers as a whole are very emotional creatures uh so it's yeah which is
2: fine like because they're just passionate about the medium that they're playing on because i mean why wouldn't you be if you spend like a hundred plus hours or thousands of hours on like any given game that you play or multiple games that you play of course you're going to be passionate about it and to me i think that the response and the discourses which i hate using that word that goes around (laughs) with like games uh is like it's it's a it's a necessary evil if you want to call it that because like games are very self-policing about their own community and also about the state of the industry as a whole which like and that bridge between of like the communication between the audience the developers and the publishers is very very short and it doesn't take long for word to travel to that place whether it's like with movies and music and other mediums and stuff like that there is a massive disconnect between the audience and whoever's making it
1: yeah if there is one thing that game developers slash publishers listen to and they listen to it pretty well is feedback. Like Mm -hmm. you can put out a stinker of a game and unless, you know, it was such a disaster that it, you know, like basically closes the studio game publishers and developers will, they will take the feedback in and usually they'll come back with something better uh even mm. on very basic core pillars like hey the gameplay was okay well now it's actually pretty good like something like that but yeah i i guess the main thing you know with this is like rockstar rockstar has earned their place in the story of gaming you know rightly so because Mm. you could talk to anyone on the street and you could probably just say hey rockstar games and they will much like how we've done that will go into a just like recounting of their own personal experiences and what makes everything they touch was the moment and Mm. i mean i think you and i are in a unique case where we've played most of their games and we understand like this was a special time for this company where they were pumping out so many just cool and interesting concepts and you know nowadays where it's just gta and maybe red dead like once every few years maybe who knows if they're ever going to do red dead again um Mm -hmm. uh, but people uh people you know the the children yearn for the old rockstar not just the the rockstar that pumps gta out like once every 10 years
2: yeah people want like that because they know that Rockstar's capable of that like um creative diversity in their catalog of games and they, they have a history of showing that and not only that it's just like the um You'd, there wasn't such a huge waiting period between each Rockstar game at least there was something that you could hang your hat on between mm-hmm. waiting for the next GDA game you know Unlo- so uh, like between <laughs> S- unless sorry, unless
1: Rick, no, no no unless it's agent uh agent unless you were an agent fan. Uh, <laughs> yeah,
2: the one agent fan that's probably out there still
1: Hey, I, remember, you, I remember I like... remember when i remember when sony announced that game on stage at e3 and i mm. i was waiting for that because that seemed like a cool game but it never came to be alas was whatever, that before l.a noir that was technically it was announced after so like l.a noir okay. was like announced in 06 i think which is crazy to think about um yeah an agent was announced in 2009 i think and but granted i don't remember who was supposed to make agent like i i could not I think tell it was rockstar
2: you was north maybe
1: which is oh my god know. which is like what happened there like did they just lose faith in the concept or something i don't know
2: maybe it was just because it was like a new ip they would they
1: yep it you know, it was a rockstar north game easily just
2: say like yeah they could have just easily said like okay there's a new IP this is kind of like low risk for us whether it's like if because Max Payne 3's development schedule was six years which is like ridiculous if you actually think about like how long this game is and yeah how linear this game is uh so like if if it was a new IP I could have easily have seen them being like man fuck this. this is so not worth it like oh. just move on to the next thing
1: yeah no apparently I'm, I'm skimming the thing yeah no I mean they they don't even have the trademark for the name anymore so age agent is long gone uh sad to say uh
2: just like horror of the orient it's going to be a fable forever which is like a (laughs) real tragedy i really wanted that game to come (laughs) to come out
1: i I want i want in the vein of like duke nukem forever i want agent to like show up 20 years later and be like oh we've been working on it for 20 years i don't know what you guys are talking about (laughs)
2: It, what to come out 20 years later and be mediocre and live up to yeah. everybody's expectations
1: it's like and then there's like see you guys shouldn't let us make new games other than gta it was all a, it was all a big plan
2: oh the big ruse now we can just coast on GTA forever which is like you know what Fine. whatever Rockstars <laughs> earn their place where they can just churn out shit for the rest (laughs) of their history longer than they've made better games and I'd be fine with that because that golden period is so like nobody could touch it that legendary any developer wishes that they had even a smidge of the influence that they had on on culture as a whole and it it would never be done ever again especially like in this day and age it's impossible to break the stratosphere that much
1: yeah yeah I don't know about you but do you want to get in Max Payne three yeah i do want to talk about max <laughs> yeah i think this is i think we exhausted the rock star part so I, let's let's get into the game proper of tonight which is max Payne 3 Should have bought a Hawaiian shirt for the occasion. That's exactly why I'm wearing.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 Max's
1: shitty fashion. What are you talking about? His fashion's perfect. Uh, sorry, amazing
2: fashion. His, <laughs> his disguise was perfect.
1: Oh, but we, we'll get into it. But can we talk about how Max, in his Hawaiian shirt and bald head and sunglasses, predicted like right-wing aesthetics? Like <laughs> a few years later, I mean. Come yeah. on now.
2: <laughs> I th- I think that look is more iconic than the jacket and tiger print look if you ask me. I think oh. bald Max is is a look.
1: Well, I okay, I've already told you and I've made it very clear in my timeline that Max bald bald bearded Max Payne does something to me as a homosexual that very few <laughs> game characters do and I don't know it Maybe it's just like that design is like, oh no, they're they're re- they're they're reading my ass live on live on the <laughs> podcast. But uh, something about seeing slightly chubby, overweight Max Payne, who's like full of wrinkles and uh, is completely dejected of everything, I'm like, oh, he's perfect. I can fix him. <laughs>
2: he's like the the ultimate like yeah i can fix him slash character of anything
1: yeah the poor man the poor man has gone through hell and he's just like Mm -hmm. bumbling and stumbling as a drunken drunken pill addict and you know literally killing himself (laughs) it's just like oh poor you sweet summer child if only there was someone like me to save you you wouldn't. You mm. That's wouldn't why you're have...
2: so happy at the end of the game, too, because it's like, thank God, I'm glad you're doing okay.
1: <laughs> Where he truly embodies like being a boomer and like <laughs> living. When he becomes his... the
2: Florida man in Brazil.
1: Yeah, he, yeah he, he he embodies Margaritaville with his like hat and yeah. like his beach shirt, and it's like, oh, that's that is a perfect way to end him off. <laughs> um, I'm glad
2: he's like not perfect either, because he's like. um he still drinks and smokes at the end of the game and it's like you know oh what? well Good. technically he's it's, drinking. it's five he's- o'clock somewhere
1: well he's technically he's drinking a soda he's drinking Not a really. soda I thought it was a beer no it's a so it's i believe it's actually the soda that's in the advertisements like in the game world oh uh, okay so that's fine then wait look at max <laughs> max's he'll st- he'll he'll get rid of the pills and the drinking but he'll he'll supplement it by just smoking cigarettes good everybody needs advice and i'm
2: glad he has one (laughs)
1: the the healthy addiction
3: Mm. Uh,
1: obviously but yeah (laughs) max pain three uh it was the much long-awaited sequel to max pain two came out on may 15th 2012 uh it was. This was after when Remedy, you know, the creators of Max Payne One and Two, had sold off the franchise to Rockstar, and so now this was under this was Rockstar's baby, albeit Remedy did have some creative oversight on this one. They didn't like leave it t- totally to them. Uh, this was, uh, written by. Rockstar mainstay Dan Houser, who, if you know Rockstar, you know his style of writing, and it's very evident throughout this game. Uh, this game was very notable for Dan Houser. Oh (laughs) yeah, this is Dan Houser unleashed. Uh, which I love, but yeah, and then you know, as Fogbrain alluded to, this game was noted for taking a absurdly long time to make which is crazy cuz this game could be beaten in 5 hours. Uh which is not a bad thing. Uh want to put that out there. Uh but yeah, yeah not the, a bad thing. So I remember this one cuz this is actually the this back in the day was my first introduction to Max Payne uh before properly oh, really? yeah, before cuz I I okay, here's the thing. I remember Max Payne on my shelf that my brother had of games. Uh for this PlayStation mm-hmm. 2. So I knew of Max Payne, but like Max Payne 3 mm-hmm. was actually the first time I actually like properly played one. And it wasn't until later that I properly, you know, got my education straight when it comes to video games. Uh I remember this game being very difficult for me at the time. I was shocked by the level of violence this game has it felt so dangerous to play this even more so than the first two games it at times is like very scary to play too but it's also thrilling and action-packed like uh i i thoroughly love this game so what do you think of max pain fog brain um
2: i probably played max pain three more than any other max Payne game and i was like a big fan of Two, because like two was my first Max Payne game, and I went back and played one after playing two. And if I take away the modding time of Max Payne 2, I've easily played Max Payne 3 and beaten it more than any other Max Payne game. And, um, yeah, just the, the, like, it doesn't hold anything back. This game is fucking brutal. It's like really upfront about like how just miserable and cynical that it is and it probably is for some people a bit too cynical and Mm -hmm. depressing and and a little bit too edgy and too many like swear words coming out of Max's mouth but you know what like to me that all adds to the charm of this game because it's it's a different vibe it's a different tone but it still is rooted in that Max Payne style of storytelling and the same Mm -hmm. attitude It just takes it up to a newer level that is like it puts rock rockstar's stamp on it, but at the same time is like an ode to everything remedy built up prior to that. So Mm -hmm. like as a capping game and as a game that like is just a pure action third person shooter game. This game is tight as fuck. It plays Mm -hmm. awesome and Mm -hmm. (laughs) just aiming every like I I mean it's not the best game to play on consoles. I would say oh no, it's not. It is not not at all because.
1: I can speak as someone who played the PlayStation 3 version before this episode, Uh, aiming aiming with precision, aiming with the Rockstar precision dot um, is a challenge, albeit, you know, as as a pro gamer uh, myself, I learned how to, you know, relearn my, the wires in my brain how to play this game. But yeah, no, it is hard on comp this game is much harder on console than on PC. Mm.
2: And the game is already hard to begin with, I think, in terms of especially compared to the other two games. Like this mm-hmm. game, especially on harder difficulties, can get like brutal where you will die over and over again of just a single straight bullet hitting you in the goddamn head. And that's mm-hmm. it. And then you just be like, oh man. But when, when all cylinders are firing, and you're like popping heads and just getting things off clean in one shot, that this game feels like no other. Like oh. when you're going through a, a level and you're like you're just hitting everything all at once. And it, it, there's playthroughs of this game that you can find on YouTube where people are playing it on like old school difficulty, like mm-hmm. super hard, and they're just hitting everything in one shot in the head, oh, and yeah. just like mastering it. And that's like it speaks to how like really really good this game is mechanically even with like how physics dependent this game is like Mm -hmm. but if you look back right and you think about like how physics heavy GTA 4 is especially with the shooting Mm -hmm. in that game it can get like like soft lock is your friend in that game and And, and, and you can use it in Max Payne Three if you want, but it's going to kind of screw you over a little bit. So uh, play this yes. game on PC. It's it's always a PC game. Max Payne is the PC shooter game. I would say for a single player linear first uh, third person shooter, yeah, it's it's the game to play.
1: Yeah, it it is. I will say it is not unplayable on console. Like it, there are moments I won't deny where like uh at least on ps3 i can't speak to the 360 version and mind you if you got anyone listening has a series console a series s or x it actually is a great way to play it because it is a backwards compatible game on that system so hey you know may i think you probably get some performance boosts out of that game on the newer system so i'm just saying it up front if you have an xbox you know, it's worthwhile, very worthwhile to get this. But for me, as a PlayStation loyalist, and uh because the PS3 is a a an enigma wrapped in a mystery of a of a nightmare console to make games for, it is not backwards <laughs> compatible. So you have to endure some pretty severe frame rate dr- frame rate drops, some well like it is it took me back i was like wow i can't believe i'd forgotten how janky some seventh gen games got with their visuals it's it's an experience that you have to just endure uh unless again unless you have a pc or a series console uh it is those issues are negligible at best but yeah th- this game yeah, is... which you go sorry at the time
2: that that was like pretty like the, this game was pushing things visually at the time uh-huh. massively, and it like it holds up. I think today still. Oh, it's like it still gorgeous. looks really, really good on PC, and it's it's gorgeous. It's crisp. The technology involved that they were doing. Like I remember, I remember just playing this game for the first time. I played it for the first time on PS3, and um, yeah, like the the physics, but also just like the small stuff, like how Max's clothing like shifts and moves when he's yeah. moving. Like, that, at the time, I remember, just blew my mind.
1: Or, the main thing I took note of, both back then and even now, is just, the big thing was the animations. Like, the, from what I understood, I could be wrong, but they made, like, hundreds of unique animations, not just for Max, but also for the enemies, and how it felt like this game, the characters, both playable and non-playable, Uh, They really felt more connected to a game world than I'm certain that there were other games where I felt connected to the game world because of how in how much the characters were tied to it. But Max Payne 3 was really like felt like these characters are navigating within this these playground levels where if Max is doing his shoot dodge and he hits like a wall. Oh, like suddenly like Max gets like knocked over realistically and he gets knocked out of shoot uh, bullet time. Like that's such a small little thing that goes the, the extra mile to adding immersion. or as I have my playthrough on my screen where Max is like shoot dodging and you see how his pants are flapping based off the way that mm-hmm. he's like moving in the environment. like, let alone also the gratuitous, pretty gr- at the time gratuitous violence. Such as like just like mm. bodies getting peppered with bullets and just both the enemies and even Max too. Like, I'll tell you, it was still pretty shocking to see the death screen and like you see like the end like bullet entering Max's like body and in that like three panel. Uh, yeah, it's
2: like boom, 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 dead. And it's just like god
3: damn, uh, dude. Oh,
1: it's, it's so, it's so just like up front. Like this is a violent, like this is Max Payton one and two were not like absent of violence. I think it was just because of the technology they weren't able to portray it. But when you give the keys to Rockstar and they have like the budget to do things that maybe not like remedy could at the time they're going to go there in terms of not only just gameplay gameplay moments, but also just story beats in general, like let alone how like the game just progressively builds up to like just more and more violence. It's I really feel like there's very few games that get to the level of this game with how matter of fact everything is it doesn't sugarcoat it it doesn't overblow thing like it doesn't like make things even more like extreme or anything it's just matter of fact like the only video gamey part of it is just max because that's always how max is controlled with his bullet time but like Mm -hmm. deaths are just a lot of the character deaths in this game are just treated as just yeah like oh yeah here's a character who's just gonna get set on fire here's a in a you know a tire jail basically whatever how i can describe that here's a character who's yeah, gonna yeah th- get... th- you guys the say.
2: the setup of um of like the villains in this game and stuff is very like kind of slapdash and and like to to an extent it's probably a detriment on the story that how like you know uh and like in the stadium level for example that's a really good like example where like these two sort of boss looking characters are getting introduced where otherwise if they probably didn't have that cut cutaway at the end of that mission Mm -hmm. all you would have known about them is just like the photographs that were shown at at one point in the story so and so as soon as they introduce they kind of get killed off but in a way that doesn't really bother me because like it it adds to And and I'm like the first person who would say, like, you know, realism in games is not the end-all be-all, and I really couldn't give two shits less about how real a game looks and feels. Mm -hmm. But the way this game handles realism in terms of, like, how the physics play out and the animations play out, which can be frustrating sometimes if you're, like, moving out of cover and you need to kind of, like, wait until the animation plays out and blends into the next one. Mm -hmm. But... Um, it rides the line in terms of like that arcade gamey feel of playing Max and running around shooting things, but at the same time um, has a lot of like realistic weight to everything. There's the realism of when you're shooting out of slow-mo where every like all the bullets and the, the sound effects of the guns are very like, you know, realistic, just very like peppery and, and sort of, you know, have this... Mm-hmm less punch to them but yet when you're in slow mode, there's like way more punch to everything and there's bass to everything mm-hmm. of all the sound effects so it makes everything feel a lot more gamey when you're in that mode so it's 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 kind of playing with the idea of like yes we're going for something that is more realistic and you're not you know juggling enemies with a bajillion bullets like you would in, in <laughs> Max Pain 2 which is fun don't get me wrong I love that but at the same time diving, crashing into a wall, and laying on your belly, and then just, like, popping a dude in the head in slow-mo when it's, like, your last bit of like bar on the um, mm -hmm. slow-mo that you have. It's like, man, it feels awesome.
1: Oh, yeah. This this game is so cathartic. Like, Max Payne 1 and 2, they feel good just because I think bullet time as a game mechanic is just fun. I'm, like, really upset Mm. that more games haven't done that. Like, Max Payne's really the only major franchise that's like dipped its toes into that concept. Granted, it was the one that like popularized it, but like, you really haven't seen anyone else try to do that. And it kind of upsets me. But like, Max Payne 3 is just a different spin on the formula mm-hmm. from both story and gameplay wise. And I think both the OG style and 3 work. You know, am I annoyed when sometimes when Max, when I'm trying to like soft lock on an enemy on and Max is still finishing his like animation from one button press earlier? Yeah, it can get a little annoying, but like it never takes me out of the experience because I know I have said ludonarrative distance is one of my least favorite terms in games, but like. This is a, a case where, like, the developers, whether they were conscious of that term or not, like, I have never felt more in the shoes of a character than I have with Max in this game. Like, both mm. both down to gameplay, but just, like, in terms of how things are being, or how I'm reacting to things in the game world, like... One of the big things that this game does visually is all the glitches and all the After Effects processing to like really highlight Max's like addiction problem to pills and drinking. And you see all the like bits of dialogue just kind of pop up on screen. You, mm. it really, I really felt more tied down and connected to Max than ever before, and in many ways, more connected to a game character. You know
3: mm. a
1: lot a lot of the plot beats, you know, some people because I've seen the video essays on this game, and you know, people will pull like they were saying, like you know the part of it feels slap dashed or whatever, but in a way, I kind of feel like that's how Max would be processing something while he's tripping off painkillers and drinking, where nothing really seems like it doesn't follow a traditional story in the sense of how information is played out. It's like, Oh yeah, this is what max would think would be processing in his mind as he's just trying to like survive at the core of it all. And he's just kind of reflecting on how, why am I here? How did I get here? You know, why, why am I still doing all this? And for me, like, I've always been just like super tied to Max more than ever. And this really feels, this is like, and maybe it's just because this is like a linear game as well. Like I feel so tied to what Max is going through from story beat one to the very end. Like I I I really love just this whole journey that you go on with him
2: yeah it's it's a much better tight uh like the the pacing of this game is really tight and i think it flows from one set piece and level to the next really smoothly and um the the distance between like the the relationship a player has with max and the story that's going on is much more tightly linked because scenes transition out of one scene to the next like when you you know you kill the last guy and then it does that like that cinematic shot that um that it can do on the last hit where it like tracks the bullet or like has the camera shot on the guy that like is, you know, falling over and you see like the physics play out and then it like goes to the next cut scene or the next thing. And it all just like flows much more seamlessly, whether it's like, I mean, I like the, the previous games and their the comic book noir aspect to it. It's, it definitely lended a lot more like visual expression and style to the story, but I, the glitchy digital style that was like, part of this which a lot of people I remember hated at the time when this came out they were like oh man looks like shit all this chrome aberration is like too much like it's hard to focus on seeing it's like well (laughs) that's the point because the game is all about like struggling with addictions and going through uh you know this this slump that you're at in life and like nothing makes sense to the world around you and it's all just this big like haze of like chopping from one thing to the next and then also like I think it was um more about the style at the time anyway because if they went back and did the comic book style again which is to an extent still there there's like panels between one thing and the next like it's an episode of 24 or something and it looks really good Mm -hmm. Um I think at the time this was just like what people were kind of getting excited about because like Kane and Lynch 2 was in 2010 two years prior to this and I absolutely think it would have been an influence on that game which by the way that game needs a re-evaluation because like yes it you know, does as much as angry joe as much as angry joe points up and goes like four, four hours, hours. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like yeah the game is four hours but you know what it's a pretty fun four hours and i think the stuff that that game does visually is like revolutionary and
3: oh, no. i absolutely
2: think um max Payne 3 took a little bit of a leaf out of that playbook and it adapts it into its own way and like you, you can't, like, point towards Max Payne 3 and say, like, it doesn't have just as much style, if not, you know, in some cases more so than the previous games, because oh,
1: mm-hmm. it all
2: executes itself pretty well.
1: Yeah, it's it's a diff- different take on Max Payne as a franchise, and Max Payne had established itself through its strong, sort of unique visual language of this film noir hong kong action mishmash and you know i think rockstar i believe sam hauser or dan hauser said it, or sam or dan i can't remember which one said this uh they were saying how you know they wait on their games based off like the changing tides and expectations of players and as much as I personally love like the look and feel of the OG games, like you know they're some of my favorite. Don't get me wrong, but there is some mm-hmm. truth to that. Of like, you have a game IP and it's been gone for eight years. The expectations and what would be considered new and refreshing isn't the same. You know, after time, you have to put some new blood into it to get it to be a captivating thing that people have to buy and you know they went as you know with the chromatic aberration text floating all that stuff and scenes transitioning in a very like non-linear way uh sort of manner but also just the fact that this game doesn't take place in new jersey anymore you know new york city new jersey hoboken whatever setting you know max Payne takes place in and it's instead they go to brazil for this and i think the switch to brazil is a great change for the franchise i mean it Sa- sao paulo in this game very much feels like honestly it feels like max Payne one and two setting it's just in a different different interpretation it feels like mm. you know It's it feels like in the context of the Max Payne storyline, it's like no matter where Max goes, he seems to find himself in the dirt, dingiest, dirtiest parts of the world where the most depraved people reside. And for me, I still like the favelas in this game are still really impressive. Like Mm -hmm. you can really When they said that, you know, they 3D scan parts of the environment and literally scan people's faces in Brazil, you really do get a sense of that. Like, this is such a realized location that, again, I think only not Rockstar could do because they have such an attention to detail into making a place feel believable and real.
3: Mm,
2: Yeah, I think like we tend to probably conflate um the the sort of color scheme and and tone and setting of a game to be like a misunderstanding of like the uh the tone of the original games if it's such a stark contrast but but like i think it really adds to it and it and it kind of emphasizes that contrast even more by juxtaposing um max in that environment And Mm -hmm. also him, how he relates to the characters that are going on at like the highest level of the social class to the bottom of the social class, and how he can kind of just like slip in anywhere as just a gun for hire, or even just a guy that's you know um, Mm -hmm. trying to make sense of all of these things and just getting himself into trouble nonstop everywhere. I think it all just like works because that's that's something that was going on in the original games anyway. And to some extent, it's just that the setting is different and the setting allows mm-hmm. for a much more refresh telling of the same sort of, you know, it's got the same tropes in it where it's like, you know, I expect someone is betraying me and then they do. And then like there's people that you think are going to be betraying you and then they don't. And then it's all it's all got the same, you know, um film noir tropes into it. It's just now that, like, the influences are a little bit more added because Rockstar's very upfront about that. It's it's obvious that they watched uh, films like City of God and Elite mm-hmm. Squad, and mm-hmm. um, it's yeah, it's obvious that like there were other games at the time that they were looking towards, and mm-hmm. you know, just a lot of other stuff that was going on in the game. So it gives the game a like a, a new personality that mm-hmm. um, doesn't detract away from what the spirit of Max Payne is, which is just like it's a film noir sort of game it's Mm -hmm. except from this time you're getting more away from the pulp fictiony type you know um Mm -hmm. type of storytelling and into something that's more like you know like a Michael Mann movie or something
1: yeah I can I can definitely see that I mean people people I don't know people have complaints about this game but the complaints never really made sense to me i mean the gameplay stuff sure like those are gameplay criticisms i think for me sometimes like i can understand them sometimes i don't but i think gameplay is kind of a thing where it depends on what you're going into and what you want out of this game mm-hmm. i think you know i appreciate and really enjoy the more weighty more weighty and you know violent action of this game i don't mind that the game is much more linear which you know which was a a change up for rockstar to have a game so linear i mean on my screen is the favela when you're trying to run away from the ufe and it's like literally Mm -hmm. a hallway like just this big set piece hallway down the hill and i don't mind that because it's like there's always something new and interesting, honestly, to see when you're going down this environment, and the emphasis on like more sort of action-packed bookends to levels. I don't mind because, again, when you have the rockstar budget, you can really do some out there and really cool ideas, such as like the boat chase sequence, uh, or you can do the nightclub shootout or the helicopter shootout. I mean, granted, it's all shooting, really, but, like, the shooting feels good, and it never gets, like, too much. I said this on the Uncharted one. Uncharted knew when to balance, like, its three core pillars, and Max Payne knows when to, like, put a stop on the shooting and let you breathe. But Mm. when, when, when they ramp up the action, I can't deny, like, some of these set pieces still hit really well, I mean, we go from, like I said, the boat shootout or the club shootout. You have the one sort of final stand in the office lobby as the office is like being invaded. You have obviously the airport level, which I'll hold off just for a second on. Like We'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, the airport level as a whole is kind of a masterpiece, I think. But we'll get to that in a second. Um, but I, I, people, I think it is okay for a franchise with a new entry to experiment and try new things because, like we said with the Rockstar bit in the first half, as long as the developers are showing that, like these decisions are coming from a place of they genuinely want to do something like this, and it's not just because they're chasing trends then I am okay with it like mm-hmm. I whether or not is good that is a separate thing I want these developers to be like passionate about this experience that they're going for it and I think if you play Max payne you can feel that passion at so many times because the level of just like absurd detail that goes into this game is just like crazy like the fact that max has like hundreds of unique lines for just picking up painkillers or
2: yeah which like change based on like where you're at in the story as well
1: yeah and you know the fact that like when you die and you reload max has unique dialogue before us for situations you know it's really a testament to just like even if you have a game that is so, so linear, which is very of the time, having a such linear crafted experience, if it's in the right hands, it could go the extra mile. Like Jocko said on the last episode, where it it lulls you into kind of like a meditative state, where you're not Mm -hmm. even processing other things. The game is so simple at its core that you really just kind of feel like you're lost in a trance within this 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 like short self-contained experience and i'm just like watching my playthrough and man remember when games that had the m rating were like allowed to be mature it's like Mm, oh yeah people just getting (laughs) gun, people getting gunned down merciless mercilessly oh my god i can't speak uh like there, there's a level going back to the brutal I can't really get over the brutality because very few games nowadays, if they do up the, if they play the violence up, it's usually in a very cartoonish manner. Like I really can't get over just like how, at times, this game is like unnecessary with how it just dulls out punishment.
3: Mm,
2: yeah, especially with like how. Um like when you see Serrano in the, the hotel level and he's just all like cut up and then there's the whole organ harvesting thing and then there's like it's showing like extreme poverty in the favelas like when you see that scene where like Max is just like walking through the favelas and then like getting himself roped into um, being <laughs> led astray by like this kid and robbed essentially. So it's like, and then yeah, there's like all this corruption from the top downwards and there's just so many different like uh Disgusting underbelly things that go on in this game, and it mm-hmm. can really like unsettle you at certain parts. And it's all just part of in service to that. Those parts where it sl- yeah slow things down and let you breathe things in a bit, but it doesn't do it too much. It'll it kind of takes you out, but just enough to keep things mm-hmm. moving. So when shit hits the fan, it's not going to stop until the, the mission's over. Essentially, mm-hmm. it's maybe going to have a small brief moment of le- of like you know breathing space, like when um. Like in the stadium level when max gets shot and he's like dying and which is like a funny little line which i really like in that part where he's like i've taken bullets like so many times just this time it's just hit like a main artery and now i'm like bleeding out for <laughs> <Yes>. real
3: <laughs> and, that,
1: and that hits home in this game too because you see like the bullet wounds on max i'm like so this is the one that finally did you in like are you sure like that's really funny uh but yeah I think the reason also why this game is so enjoyable outside of what we've talked about is Max specifically James mm-hmm. McCaffrey this I don't get me wrong he does a great job in one and two like a, a really good job but this one he really like if if I were on the board of giving giving, giving video game awards out like this give this man the award for everything like this is such a fantastic performance and i think without james caffrey which funny enough we might have had this game and he might have not been in this game which is wild to think without this wouldn't
2: cost him which is crazy
1: yeah and without this performance i don't think the game might have hit as strong because james oh, definitely really, not
2: yeah because like his his motion capture acting in terms of like the subtle movements that he does in certain cutscenes and the the way he narrates his dialogue with like this you know he's he's got a sort of tone of voice throughout the whole game that like carries through but like when he puts emphasis on certain lines and when he's like and you see that in the cutscenes where he's got like that mocap as well it allows him to be an actor because you get like the full capabilities of like his range and what he's able to do from, like, not just voice acting, but also movement, uh-huh. and he really, like, he really nails it, and, like, he he really becomes Max in this game unlike any of the other previous games, and he fully realizes this character in, in like, so many different subtle ways, and, like, you're not going to notice it on the first time you play through this game. Like, I, I probably didn't start to notice these things until probably, like, my sixth playthrough of this uh-huh. game because, like, you take a lot of this stuff for granted. Uh, it's the same thing as when the environment design and the art behind it is taken for granted because you just walk right past it you're going from one sequence to the next
1: it's it's that meditative state that you get in where Mm. it's the 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 little details really propel the experience forward or you know above and beyond what maybe in the hands of a less experienced developer they wouldn't have hit hard I mean James McCaffrey, with a Dan Hauser script, creates magic. Like, Dan, Dan Hauser, for anyone who doesn't know, he's basically been the main rock star writer for basically since GTA 3. So everything that you know when it comes to GTA's sort of dialogue is present here. It's very sarcastic, very sort of cynical, nihilistic at times. and. When you combine, like, I know some people complained about it because they're just like, well, Max wouldn't Mm. talk about, you know, current day events because, like, in the older games, he didn't do that, or Max wasn't like cursing like crazy. But you and I have talked about this in messages before, but this feels so appropriate for Max at this time and place in the The change into the 2010s, where like the internet is now more present. And if Max maybe doesn't use the internet per se, you know, because he's, you know, old guy who's a very by the books traditional, you know, older man, he's probably not online browsing, browsing the timeline, so to say. But he's still like, he's Mm -hmm. like, cultural osmosis is happening and he's picking it up no matter how removed from reality he might be
2: yeah I mean he's bound to pick this stuff up regardless just because like anybody you could be like the most detached boomer mindset person out there who's like not in touch with current culture but like at least something's going to come your way you know Mm -hmm. it it would be like complaining as if like a modern day Max wouldn't know what TikTok is absolutely (laughs) would he just like wouldn't understand the nuances of it because like all right, he's he's thirty six in Max Payne one, and in in Max Payne three, he's forty seven, and mm-hmm. throughout that time, he's been unemployed, sitting in Hoboken, and there's that line when he's like, you know, um, he's I've been sitting at that bar for three hours or five years, depending on the way you look at things, and um, it adds to that detachment that he has, but at the same time, like it, he's still surrounding himself with a lot of the things that are going on uh as you know culture and time evolves like you know I mean it's a little bit dated with the Jersey boys like the Jersey Shore guys coming in in the in, in the bar and like giving him shit. and but like the contrast of that alone is like really fun to watch honestly and um it it makes sense for him to like be a little bit more jaded and a little bit more like cynical and have a little bit more like peppering of his language in there because like the dude has been doing nothing for five years and the uh-huh. contrast of him in these situations even when he goes to brazil right and there's that level the flashback where he's on the boat and he's just yeah. like sitting at the bar and he feels like the loneliest man in that room yeah. as everybody else is having coke and partying and he's just like i don't get this it's not my <laughs> scene
1: yeah i mean yeah that that, that sequence, that bar scene in hoboken where he's literally faced he's sitting right next to Rockstar's version of Pauly D from Jersey Shore. It's literally Pauly D. I'm not joking. Mm. Like, it's Rockstar taking the piss out of pop culture, as they do many times. But, in a weird way, maybe not... Or In a way, it actually works, because Max is this, like... He might know everything in the book when it comes to, like, police duty and, you know, private security work or whatever. But it makes sense as like this old guy in a world that keeps progressing forward, and it's like, well, of course, like Jersey Shore wannabes are like part of a, of a, of the new the next iteration of the Italian mobs he once faced before. Like it, it's this like natural evolution that happens within the Max Payne universe as Max kind of just sits in that bar for years and the world is already advancing past him and he's just like there to be like a very, like a cultural sponge or just taking in whatever he hears on the TV as he's just, you know, sitting in his drunken pill induced, like, like dream. Cause he's still Mm -hmm. fighting the demons that plagued him in the first two games with his, wife and his daughter dying and then mona dying and pretty much pretty much everyone of major note in the franchise has like died whether because of his actions or you know being near him in general and i love how this game really finally gives that conclusion and i know some people have complained that like 2 and 3 are very similar and it's like we already had the Max forgiving himself arc, but this is a Max that feels very real because if anyone go- had gone through what Max has gone through, they would not have probably moved on. They would have still mm. dwelled in their depression and dreary, you know, hellhole, and
2: especially in five years too, as well, and like the where he's at in his life and his age. It makes a lot of sense for him to still carrying this stuff to some extent plus i think it's a like as much as i love to and i think the story for that is like great the uh, the conclusion of that doesn't hit the same as this game does the way this game concludes is like the the best bookend that you could possibly give to Mm -hmm. this character of where he's finally come towards and like that resolution of things and, and and how he kind of gets over the stuff that has happened in the past and a lot of this stuff is like punctuated by the scenes in the flashback and then there's also uh mm-hmm. the stuff about the score that we'll talk about that really oh, yeah. those moments yeah. even more oh so yeah. so it's like it really like they they gave that conclusion so much more weight in this game and look two's great i love the ending of it it's a great tragedy at the end and it's kind of got a glimmer of hope to it but um i don't know max is at his best when he's being a depressing character anyway. Yeah. And so when you take it to when you take it to the full extent of him being like this really old, he's fat as shit. Like, the game even conveys this in the gameplay. He can't move as quick. He never sprints. He He's a little bit sluggish. It kind of makes sense that, you know, he can't, the he can't animations do his are a spin, little bit slow.
1: He can't do the spin reload from 2 anymore.
2: Yeah, he can't do the cool Matrix moves anymore. Now he just,
1: like, <laughs> he, he probably dies
2: even uh not as long as he used to and all this sort of stuff so like and, and it's also the, like those you know those small moments where uh he decides to do something really crazy and he like you know shoots the hook and then rides up and then starts like you got those sequences where it's like try to shoot every guy and he's yeah. doing this crazy move in one sequence and every time before that he's just like I don't know why I'm doing this this is just, <laughs> just the dumbest thing I've ever done
1: it's so good I mean yeah like this the story here feels like a natural conclusion from the end of two. and it really feels like Max at is at his breaking point because everyone is he's in a new city in a new location and yet the same shit is happening to him. Everyone's dying. He's let another woman die in his under his watch with uh, Fabiana. And it's just like Mm -hmm. all he could like he even says this like the only thing that he wants is to save one girl like and you see that payoff with uh, Giovanna when you have to escort her and then she becomes the most intense bus driver known to man Uh, (laughs) with a great set piece mind you that is a great action set piece like it reminds me of speed it's such like a speed influence scene like it's so fun. And Max, Max is just like blurting out, it's just like, you know, learn how to fucking drive. Like, <laughs> but. Yeah, it's I definitely
2: love- the best like driving sequence in that game because there's a lot and some are kind of like sluggish, I remember. Because I. Admittedly, my least favorite part is probably the. Um, the, uh, It's at the airport sequence when you got the, the two trains. launcher. Or no, yeah, the two trains.
1: Yeah, the two trains are yeah, strange. Yeah, like just.
2: It's a bit strange, but, like, the boat sequence is really good, and, yeah, the bus sequence is really good. And for, for games to handle a driving sequence that well, it's pretty pretty I mean, amazing. And That's that... the thing about this game as well is that, like, so many tropes uh, of modern gaming came out as probably a result of this game to some extent. Like, the, the times when, like, a character just kind of stops and starts walking and talking or thinking about things is, you know, you kind of flesh out the story a little bit. And then mm-hmm. you've got like the driving sequences and all this sort of stuff so there's like a lot of holdover of influence that like can be pointed towards this game it's just that this game decides to not spend too much time on it where there's like a lot of modern games it's just like no let's yeah. sit and talk and walk and and get out exposition for like 10 minutes and it's mm-hmm. like dude stop yeah. <laughs> just go yeah. back to the gameplay i mean
1: <laughs> that was the seventh gen of gaming where Mm. these linear set piece action third person shooters were the norm and we, and you definitely saw this where we were talking about this briefly off, off recording but Max Payne 3 came at a time where the industry had like a definitive split like mm. where on one coin you have really well done games like Max Payne 3 that Don't they don't succumb to these? They don't they don't succumb to the worst things like the forced walking sequences or like dumbing down mechanics for the sake of like wider broad appeal for this sort of niche franchise or whatever. Like we were, you mentioned off air, like Hitman Absolution, that sort of game where. At the tail end of the seventh gen, we saw like a pro, like a there was a fork in the road, and gaming unfortunately took the wrong side for a few years, and we paid the price. Honestly, until way like, too many years, yeah, and we paid for it until like twenty nineteen, like when games kind of snapped out of it. Um, and it makes me rem remiss, like we could have had more Max Payne threes. This sort of dark, this more mature, violent, very well done take on this style of game. And instead, we kind of got inundated with the worst kind of games. It was like, at first it was like the cinematic... Grant said, I don't hate cinematic games. It's just like, if the developer is good with it and they... The developer is clearly talented and skilled. I can deal with like th- cinematic elements to a game, but we saw some like not skilled developers doing it and it was unbearable. Like,
2: yeah, it just got too up its own ass. And as it was Assassin's kind of Creed, bit, like, yeah, like the 2012 when this game came out is when Assassin's Creed 3 dropped. And I absolutely hate Assassin's Creed 3. I'm like, unabashed about how much I hate that game because it set up everything afterwards of what that franchise ended up becoming and I don't like any of it and um it's the same thing as well like Resident Evil 6 was the same year as well and that was like oh my god you're right sort of problems so there was like yeah this big split in the road was really happening I mean there was good games that were coming out here but like man it's such a 50 50 split especially at the big budget end of things where, yeah, it just started to lean more and more towards this cinematic quality, which is fine. Like, Max Payne 3 is a, is a cinematic game. There's no question that, that what you're doing is playing out a movie. It's just that the game doesn't rob you of that control too much, and it doesn't let you kind of, like, sit there and wave its finger to you saying, look how cinematic I am. It's just like, no, you're you're in control of this movie, and you're directing the whole shit, and yeah, how it, it plays out. It's just that, like, there is cutscenes thrown about that, which is fine. Like, more yeah. than fine.
1: It's just a matter of the execution, which I think mm. that was the big issue back then, is that, like, Naughty Dog, as I said last week, they were definitely, like, the pioneers of this style of game. And Naughty Dog, I would say, you know, they, they landed their marks when it came to this. And, you know, I know that some people don't like some of their games and I'm okay with that at this point like granted I think they they naughty dog was talented with what they could do with this sort of template and I think Max Payne 3 definitely falls in the path of like an uncharted where mm-hmm. it was about like here's our game here's our like traditional gameplay segment here's our crazy off the walls action set piece moment and then here's our breathing time it's like the uncharted the three pillars of uncharted whereas shooting X ex- you know platforming and sort of the uh puzzle bits. I think you know Uncharted handled those bits well enough and I think Max Payne also does it very well where it doesn't do too much of one thing so that you're like, You're missing out on like some like the the intended experience. Max Payne, I think its core foundations, like its its simplistic gameplay foundation, allows it to be a great time. And Rockstar definitely knows when to let you have a great time with the game. I mean, Mm. I mean, I've played the game a few times, and it's like. I'm still loving, you know, when I can when the game sets me up where Max, you know, when you're in the police station level and Max jumps on the cart and he's sliding and popping off bullet time headshots across another building. Mm-hmm. It's like Rockstar knows when to deliver those moments. They know when to deliver those tense shootouts in claustrophobic environments. They knew they they understood the essence of Max Payne. And they didn't change it to suit the changing times, and you see, like, you know, like you said, a, a game that does not uh, do that well is Resident Evil Six, where it tried so hard to appeal to a specific feel and energy, and it just went off the rails immediately. And it's awful, and I hate it so much. I I still think <laughs> Resident Evil Six is like my most hated game ever, and I. I still when people are trying to reevaluate Resident Evil six and they'll put like, oh Max Payne Three is a great game, but it's got problems, like shut up. Like you're trying to say <laughs> Re- you're trying to say Max Payne Three is lower on the totem pole than Resident Evil Six. You have problems.
2: Absolutely not, especially with like even just sheer campaign length. Like this game gets in and out in like five to six hours, and that's more than fine. I yeah. know a lot of people think like I'm spending, you know, fifty, sixty dollars on a game. I want it to four be
1: four like hours. Four
2: hours.
0: That was it's the like, worst. That was
1: that was the worst. Like internet critic brain, like brain rot talking point that came out of that era was that hours equal dollars. Yeah, it like
2: my game has to be worth a and certain amount of sense for every hour i put into it and, and like, that's, that's why we got open world games are
1: well that's why we got open world games because game developers yeah. said well because we had to have a 60 hour open world game to so that people won't stop shutting up about this stupid talking point point." and guess what we got awful shit as a result of it so thank you angry mm. joe you retard like like <laughs> like i that, I, look,
2: that, that, I understand that from a gamer's perspective like you want Bang for your buck I totally understand that and you want the yeah. game library to kind of like because you know some people can't buy more than maybe one game a year I so I'm very empathetic towards that um as a consumer point but when it gets into the critical hands and starts like sewing the trends for how games ought to be in terms of what they think it needs to be for yeah. for the rest of like you know the industry then like the implications behind that are uh, very very detrimental look we have the games that we get released nowadays because it's what we deserve because that's what people pay for and that's what people talk about and they consider that to be uh what's construed as value in a game and i think there's just such a fundamental misunderstanding and you know hours equal dollars is definitely one of them where like it's so like there's this is like real um sort of stain upon like even just the mere suggestion of like hey i like this linear game and everyone's like oh man you like linear games that's just like so like smooth brand and it's like no, linear games can be
1: great (laughs) yeah some i'm sure you feel this it's like as i get older and i have responsibilities with a job and a podcast you know i can't devote my time and effort to Every new 50 hour open world RPG, because people have people were told that you know, every hour of gameplay is equal to the dollar I spent, and it's like some of the best games ever. You know, granted, I know game prices have changed over time, but like I can look at like i don't know resident evil 2 on ps1 and i believe like at the time that was like 50 dollar game you can beat resident evil 2 in like five hours both campaigns if you know what you're doing probably even less and Mm. that game is not any less valuable because it's five hours long and it's a linear game with like puzzle solving you know it's value for a game should come from what you get out of the experience, not from what is like in what is not like a selling point on the box. Like and now mm. it's reached a point where it's like certain games literally will never end. They, they're they the infinity game where they have to be they have to keep updating and changing because, you know, yeah, and, and I understand games are an expensive medium. They're $60 sometimes now 70 like you want to feel like that i was right in putting this money on this product but to say to your like to think that like I, it's forcing the industry to homogenize in a way that i do not support and
2: insane yeah it's a very like negative trend i think where like yeah if if resident evil 2 came out in this day and age and it was like that long it would be
1: unforgivable thank God and thank God God the remake didn't and thank God the remake didn't it's it was literally
2: because people people look on that fondly because one it's like super replayable and that like I think is a really important element that is underutilized in games is that like when I play a game I really want to come back to it constantly Mm -hmm. even if it's a linear game that's five hours long like I've played Max Payne 3 like six seven times and that's throughout like the the years since 2012. so and so for me, like, I've already gotten more than my money's worth out of it because it's such a, a tightly made curated experience that doesn't, you know, that ticks all the boxes in the right way. And it's not, it doesn't come off as a one and done experience like a lot of other cinematic linear games that kind of like, yeah, again, emphasize the uh, the negative reputation linear game design has. Yes. Um, so, yeah, it, it's just... I don't know it's it's a real problem because I think we kind of misunderstand what what we consider to be value in games and what we consider to be um the the true mark of appreciation for a game where, yeah like yeah n- now it's all about like okay we need to justify our budgets which are like really overblown in our dev times which are like five to six years by making a game that is never ending and has so much content and that sort of stuff and it's like look <laughs> As I know more, <laughs> I would know that, like, if you put in so much time on on developing a game and you've got all this content, it's taking you all this time, and then people play it <laughs> and never pick it up again, it's the worst feeling in the world, probably. So, yeah. like, you, <sighs> we need to kind of get away from that.
1: Yeah. So, in in short, about this segment, I blame Angry Joe for everything. Uh, that that mongoloid like should never have gotten a platform because that guy he 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 he's oh boy uh i can appreciate if he
2: didn't exist there would have been like somebody someone else other. who came in his yeah, place because sh- like the like you could probably trace this back honestly to to like angry video game nerd or something where it's just, least- like, purely entertainment value that, oh yeah you know kind of normalizes the the angry gamer reactive you know knee-jerk take i can um about games
1: i can accept avgn because at least he has charm and the guy cares about what he does and he's having a blast and with angry joe it just feels like a dumb person with no charisma trying to tell me that he knows everything about games and like it's the It's the joke of like 60% of the time I'm 100% right. And it's like, well, that's not good odds. (laughs) It's not good odds, dumbass. It's like, you can be right about Street Fighter V being a bad game at launch. It was. But like, Mm. but saying that every linear game, every linear shooter game had to be like 20 hours at bare minimum is like makes me want to put a knife in my like, at my throat. It's like, there, there. Very, there's only a very select few of games that are like of this style that should be like any longer than twelve hours. Like twelve hours is the sweet spot. Like, mm. I, you know, you can beat that in a week and you feel great and moving on. So, enough of that rant on Angry Joe isms. Um, what, I, what?
2: I, <laughs> I think it just it, it would evolve anyway into like because you see it in so many other permutations where like. You know video essays on youtube are a thing and also like accounts on twitter are a thing and -hmm. then you have like the forum culture and all this sort of stuff and then board culture so like it's no matter where you want to like point the blame tree at like it's it's all been like festering in -hmm. this weird way for like well over a decade at this point where now that's like considered to be the the vanguard of what decides like this is where gaming industry and culture needs to go and how games Mm -hmm. ought to be and Mm -hmm. the 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 thing that can be applied and to put a cap on this to apply to any of them is um you know in the same way that the wrestling business (laughs) regards its fans is you don't know shit, and you really don't (laughs) know what's going on and like the, the the amount of decision making and logic and 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 you know pragmatism that has to be involved in developing a game is so far beyond an initial knee-jerk reaction that's like well, it's only six hours it's six hours for a reason believe yeah. me. <laughs> and it, it just and max Payne 3 justifies its length very yes. well if it was any longer than that we would not be talking about it in the same reverence because we would be like well this level's weak and this mm-hmm. level's weak and then there's kind of like a dead part here and stuff like that whether it's like talking about it as it is now there's mm-hmm. so many levels that you can point towards being like this is memorable this is really memorable mm-hmm. i really like this really like this and it all wraps up in a nice little package at mm-hmm. the end that ends when it needs to
1: so in conclusion uh d- developers should have gained the insight of of one harada and say don't ask me for shit um yeah that's that's the solution <laughs> to everything let let creators don't ask make- for shit. yeah um I wanted I what what I love though about Max's journey in this game is the when the game finally like gives Max the one thing that in many ways he's like praying to which is to save one girl in Giovanna I love how the game like you really get a sense of like things are changing and not just in the fact that Max learns the truth of what's happening and going on or any of that I love how there is just an overall change and how he like you just feel a change has happened like he finally has gotten that like one thing that he has been basically begging for across all three games and you really get max at his full potential and unlocked nature and even when the game goes on it's like flashback sequence in Panama like I think the game really hits its stride in the last like 30%. Like basically from the Giovanna escort on the game really just hits every mark from the Panama flashback to the Oregon harvesting hotel, then to the police station and then to the airport. I mean, those are some four. Those are four strong ass levels to end your game on.
2: They're really like tightly designed too. they the nice short they're not too long levels you know so i think mm-hmm. more of the longer levels are kind of towards the beginning of the game which is okay because it's doing a lot of groundwork to kind of establish setting and characters and all this sort of stuff and so when things start to change in and let that, that, that's the other thing i can appreciate is that like max's character arc isn't something that is like a radical shift uh-huh. it's a step in the right direction that's just subtle enough So where you can think like okay well maybe someday he'll get there Uh but like it's not going to happen overnight so like the 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 ritualism of him shaving his hair is like the first step in that direction and then him accomplishing what he kind of wanted to in, in saving Giovanna is like the next thing and then like it makes those small incremental steps and then you kind of yeah you contrast it with the uh the Panama flashback sequence it really like rounds things up in a really mm-hmm. nice like digestible way that feels believable and it's mm-hmm. not like too it does like it, it would be so easy to handle the, the the capping point of his character um to be mismanaged and you could see like i i don't find this to be plausible it's not in line with his character mm-hmm. and i just don't feel like it's it's too radical of a shift you know mm-hmm. I like i said like the the best <laughs> permutations of max are is always that inkling of tragedy that's associated with him so for him to like turn around and be this happy-go-lucky I'm I'm a redeemed recovering alcoholic and now my outlook on life is all roses is would be Mm -hmm. ridiculous
1: yeah there he might have finally gotten on the right track but he's still working towards it but I think what for me makes this sort of like march towards redemption for him special is the fact that by just me interacting with this game i was like the i was the force that was able to get max finally free from his never ending cycle of death and misery and mm-hmm. it's not like it's not like even by the and it's like Max still is struggling to get it. You know, he keeps of losing track of that Becker and uh Bronco. And I like how there's still like it his Max's misery has been played replaced with like a like anger slash like determination. And it feels in line with what the player wants out of Max Two, like they want Max to finally get that ending, and you, mm-hmm. like, you get that police station level is amazing. It 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 feels like a different spin on like the, like, sort of similar esque locations of the first two games. I mean, that pr- that police station really feels like a a labyrinth prison. Like that, seemingly is like the biggest police station known to mankind, but I love it. (laughs) Um, but I think that it the game culminates, it brings it all together. And I think, in arguably, one of the best final levels to one of these style of games, maybe in games in general, which is the airport level, where Mm. everything comes to a climax and Max is finally. You know, he's finally gotten rid of the one thing that has both driven him as a character, which is the guilt of not protecting his wife and daughter and letting them die. You know, in his mind, letting them die. And he finally lets it go. And you feel when you engage that shootout in the airport terminal and you hear tears playing, like, I swear to you, like, there is a, like, I feel it. There is a kinetic energy in that whole, from the rest of the game on, that is just like nothing else compares to that. It is unreal. And mind you, too, Mm -hmm. uh, another thing, I don't know if you've had this on your playthroughs, but like on my most recent playthrough, when you're collecting the golden gun parts, I got all the parts for the G6 Commando, the big assault rifle and i got all the golden gun parts and i had it in my inventory so like pulling out my golden gun as tears (laughs) is blasting and mowing down these ufe was so yeah it's like oh that was like top 10 moment for me
2: yeah it's such an amazing moment in that game and i think like you it a lot of it is due to the kind of build up i guess we'll talk about the score real quick so the score by health is like it's it's great it's like a really like for for them to go out and be like okay we're going to fully invest on this project and put everything into it but not only that but also like understanding thematically what this game is going for and also the history behind it that mm-hmm. that kind of backs all of this up leading to that moment that is like really the biggest culmination of all of the score was building up and towards that because the um the sequence in New Jersey when you're at the graveyard sequence doing that oh, shootout is like amazing. yeah the the, the track during that segment is amazing because like they decided to put like this really like a lot of ambience behind it. This rolling synth is going on. And then they sample the, uh, the crying sound of Max's daughter from the first game, which is just like, man, oh, yeah. what a touch to that is.
1: That Yeah. That, that is a detail that is so, you wouldn't even know that. And apparently I heard that they actually they couldn't find the file exactly, so they recreated it as close as they could to that original mm-hmm. baby crying sound. And when the thing is about this game too and it was like I believe one of the first games to do this, which was the stems uh I don't know what it's like it's basically they break up the game's the song into different stems or different parts. Mm-hmm. And so based on your actions in the game, they bring in different elements of the song. So like you have that rolling synth, but like later on you just start hearing this like ominous crying sound that just permeates just how like this is Max at just such like a bitter, deep, low part of his life. And it's so haunting. Like it, it still gives mm. me chills that like, and again this is like rockstar at their peak where they they bring on this band who at the time they had only put out two albums i believe and so to bring on yeah. this noise rock band to create a video game score was such a bold st- a bold thing but also such a great thing at the same time i mean there's so many different songs on the soundtrack that are just so like i I have been listening to this soundtrack practically nonstop for the past two weeks now. And I don't think it's going to leave my playlist anytime soon. Like it is, there's so many just great songs that are both in the, you know, they're ambient and they let you really get that really somber mood. There's also, there's those great action sequence songs that they have that really sell the, the pacing. Uh, and another thing I like is that they they let certain moments not even have the health through the songs. They even let, like, in the bar level, they actually have, like, club music, you know, fit appropriately mm-hmm. to that. So it's not even just health work. Like, the soundtrack outside of it, too. Like, the, that beautiful string version of Max Payne's theme, uh opens the game is so beautiful yeah they use it
2: very sparingly too it's like at the beginning of the game and then when the airport sequence starts at the very start of that level they bring it back and it's just like yeah and with they when they choose to use the the dynamic stems um in the level for when like the new sort of layer of the music comes in it comes in at like very specific points like the graveyard sequence and then also the airport sequence when like the the vocals come in when you're like halfway through and it like just it just builds and builds and builds and you're just like fuck. it's just such an empowering moment because it's just done like so perfectly and like so few games can really like say that they have that sort of moment Mm -hmm. in In any part of their game, where you're just like, (laughs) you 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 remove all criticism. Like the the meditative state is completely out. You're hooked in. You're seeing every single detail happening at once because you're in like the ultimate flow state of like euphoria playing this game. And you're just like at the end of it all, you're just like, man, this was fucking sick. Fuck yes.
1: (laughs) I mean, listen. Obviously Tears is a great song on its own like it's fantastic. Don't get me wrong, but when you experience it for the first time in the airport level gunning down people and it what I love is that the first time you hear it it's a pitched down version. So it mm-hmm. still actually f- fits within Max's like state of like there's still a seriousness present and he's still fighting for something. And the big thing that sells tears is the lyrics which are connected to max max's character where they are the lyrics are sung from his dead wife and daughter where they're basically the lyrics and as a result they are are telling max to just let them go you know the memories you have of this event are not true you know you you've been putting this guilt on you and it's just time to let us go and we you know we forgive you and it's like oh like this is like top 10 gaming moments like ever like mm. of all time like there's very few moments that just just hit in a way that that airport level with tears i it to the point where it's like tears and max pain 3 are like inseparable from each other and mm. it's really a stunning moment and i i i think that's a reason why everyone gushes about that scene is because you know it's the it's the convergence of gameplay story you know flow state your connection with max all the like different pieces have all come to finally together and you know you get some very you know when you finally take down uh Becker and Bronco, like, it is... It feels so earned. Like, to have that, like, shootout in the hangar while Becker's throwing grenades at you, and you're just, like, mowing down enemies left and right, like, it's no problem. You are just so driven. At that point, you mm. are max. You, like, nothing will stop you from, you know, winning, so to say. And...
2: Yeah, I, I love how um, the game, even just across every single Max Payne game, is that like the, the connection between the player and the character feels so like intrinsically linked because like you as a player are like almost like this subconscious driving force behind Max to like move on with things and press forward with things despite the fact that he would like, and especially in 3, like the narration, he wants to do anything but push forward but because of like the situations that he's thrown into and then you as a player like uh because you're just playing a video game but like narratively that it there is no dissonance at, at work here because it's it's all just so closely interlinked with the you know the character art that he needs to go through um mm-hmm. so like every single act of you doing gunplay and stuff it's like he's he's channeling this like reflexive survival instinct at the back of his brain that the player is like controlling at every mm. point
1: yeah it man it's some at this point I feel like I'm just like heaping praises upon this game because it there are some games where it's like you are sold on the experience and then they fumble the bag so to say and mm it kind of becomes like a blemish on the experience, but somehow, maybe not somehow, actually just Rockstar, Dan Houser, James McCaffrey, Health, whoever it might be, like, there was just, they understood the assignment from moment one of this game. They knew what had to be done in order to sell this moment in time. And it's like I remember when I would finish the game the other day on my replay. I was just like, kind of. I honestly thought the game was even better than I had remembered it. Like, I don't. Oh man, it's crazy. Like, and to think that people, you know, kind of like harp on this game, for like such minute details and they don't see what is clearly staring right in front of them i just you know it's
2: really strange because like it's it's really easy for for like a lot of gaming criticism comes down to like nitpicking stuff and like really like getting bent out of shape over small details when um look and there's the time and place for that absolutely sometimes Mm -hmm. those things can really let down a game in in Mm -hmm. in major ways but like for this particular type of game or even just like any type of game um even doesn't even have to be similar but like if you just look at it as a whole and especially like you don't have to know everything about the development history of things so like i mean just the fact that you know six years in the hole and this was in hell and then like to have the direction that's so tightly you know, executed as it is, is like in itself a miracle. But like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, just if you look at the game as a whole and what it's trying to to do, at just at every level, not just gameplay and and all this sort of stuff or mechanics, it's it's it all just feels like a cohesive piece. Mm-hmm. And um, it's yeah, to get bent out of shape about like, oh man, the physics are too slow and I'm getting into cover, therefore the game is shit. That is just such a like. I don't know that's just way too dismissive for me to like you've got to have some level of forgiveness yeah. on games you know like th- this game is not perfect I'm not going to sit here and say like this game is like the the, mm-hmm. the end-all be-all of third-person shooters but in terms of what it's time trying to accomplish and um at every single level creatively and um mm-hmm. logically and production wise it's 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 a masterpiece in that sense you can't yeah. say otherwise because it's just a miracle that it even came out this way. I mean, Mm -hmm. the fact that like Max Payne was announced in 2009 and we didn't get it until way later after they announced it. And then (laughs) um, there there was that like initial, I remember reveal where there was that like concept of his his face that was like kind of cut off and stuff. And I remember being like, Oh sweet, Max Payne three is coming out and it looked kind of cool. But then it's like, everybody was like, Oh man, he's bald. I don't know where this is all (laughs) going. And (laughs) it's like, just, let let rockstar or any any creator do what they need to do to kind of um execute it in the way as best possible as they need to and believe me it comes off completely in this game like it is executed that well like despite how many bumps in the road they were to get there mm-hmm. it's it's really like a i think any game that comes out is a miracle honestly yes so any truly. game that comes out to this level and does it in such a way that like it even just has one more even people who don't like this game they'll point towards the airport sequence and go that was like fucking, that was that a was kino. that was that was a, a keynote quintessential game of <laughs> moment. <And> it's like <laughs> yeah uh
1: yeah i mean i think it's such a beautiful game honestly i mean like you said it's not perfect i don't think any game will ever truly be perfect like that i think that's impossible because mm you can always find an issue, you can always find a problem, but for me, the sum of the parts create something that is, in many ways, I would argue, like, it's like a, it's one of those games where it's like once in a generation type, like, game, where everything came together, everything just came out swinging, and it just delivered something really beautiful, and The fact that, like, we as players were finally able to get Max that happy ending on the beach, living his Margarita Boomer life, having a soda and a (laughs) cigarette, like, in some unknown beach in Brazil, like, it felt so, like, granted I'm speaking from after the fact, but like, for a fan who had been there since 2001, you know, to see 11 years pay off, like, uh, it's like masterclass and in many ways I would probably maybe consider this the best game Rockstar's ever made like if not it's right mm-hmm. up there like it's it, right up there it, yeah so I mean I don't know about you but I think we fully exhausted this game like f- there there's not much to say other than play this game already please just do yeah, you yourself a favor game. like I say, you know, everyone give a shot to any game I talk about on the show, but like, please play Max Payne 3. Maybe play the first two games to get a better understanding of what's going on, because I think it will really hit together. And besides, hey, uh, in total, all three games will probably take you anywhere from like, I don't know, 13 to 18 hours to beat all together. That's a pretty good deal, in mm. my opinion. What exactly yeah
2: and, and you get the you get the full max pain experience out of that where you get to build up towards you know the eventual conclusion that i hope never ever gets a sequel because we've seen what happens when games have like beautiful conclusions mm-hmm. and then it goes one more too far and then it's just it doesn't hit the same ever again uh mm-hmm. halo is definitely the best example should have never made a game after three <laughs>
3: yeah
1: yeah i my cutoff for me was reach like that felt like a proper, that's fair but y- you are true that three should have been probably the true cutoff but whatever can't win them all so i cannot thank you enough Fogbrain, for coming back on this is such an amazing time i'm so grateful that i could finally espouse the truth about max pain three
2: Thank you so much for having me, Sam. Because the whole reason why we're here is to tell people that they're wrong about their opinions. <laughs> video games.
1: Exactly. So, uh, to end this out, I would like to quote arguably it's the my favorite quote from Max. It both book it both starts the game and pretty much is the bookend to the game. So, I guess I had become what they had wanted me to be a some killer, clowns, some gun, rent a clown with a gun that puts holes guys. in other bad guys.
0: Well, well that's what they that's had what paid, they paid for, for, so in the end, that's what they got. Say what you want about Americans, but we understand capitalism. You buy yourself a product and you get what you pay for. And these chumps had paid for some angry gringo without the sensibilities to know right from wrong.